prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. episode 39. I am your host, JB, with my co-host, Cam. And for today's episode, we are joined by Evan Salazar, uh, creator of the Rodeo Anthology, which is a self-published ongoing anthology series that he's working on. Uh, Issue two is available now. Before we get into that, though, let's get into some comic news. Hell yeah. Alrighty. So comic news. Batman is black. DC announced a new story as part of their future state as the new DC event and the screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave, John Ridley, is writing the Batman book and Batman Under the Cowl is going to be Tim Fox, which is Lucius Fox's estranged son who originally appeared in 1979. I don't really have anything to say about that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's interesting that this is the book that they put the, you know, big Hollywood screenwriter. Yeah, on. like if any book needs like the shine, like you should put somebody with that kind of clout on like, I don't know, like fucking Animal Man or some 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 character that, you know, could use a boost. But I mean, talk about burying the lead, DC. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Batman, I picked up last week, DC does that occasional anthology. I feel like there's been different iterations of it, Batman Black and White. It's pretty much like they always give like artists and writers short stories they can do about Batman and it's just always in black and white. But the new issue came out and honestly, from an art standpoint, it's pretty sick. It has uh, Trad Moore in it, who I think is making some of like the uh, most interesting looking mainstream comics. Like if you haven't seen Trad Moore's stuff... I feel like he's one of those comic artists that's like influenced by Jack Kirby, but is like made it his own thing. So it's not like Tom Scioli. Not that that's a diss, but I mean, like you look at yeah, Scioli's stuff. Yeah, a literal copying of Copy. the style, right? Yeah. Yeah, like Trad Moore's doing shit that like, it just reminds me of Kirby, but it doesn't look like Kirby. You can tell that, you know, he learned from him. J.H. Williams had a strip in there too. But the reason why I bring this up, because of Trad's story, Trad Moore has an eight page story that was written by James Tenyon the fourth, which, you know, if you're claiming you're the fourth of something... You know, you've already probably got issues. No, besides that, though, here's what the deal is. The story was written by this James guy, and Trad's art is really what, uh, you know, brought me to the dance. The story is just about, like, this criminal who's watching Batman kick the shit out of all of his friends, and he's, like, amazed by how graceful and beautiful of a fighter Batman is. So he it's like, fuck he, Batman. Yeah, he's just, like, simping for Batman before he gets annihilated by Batman. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's the story. But the art is fucking sick. But at the end of each of these stories in this book, there's like a bio for, you know, the team that did it. So I'll just read Trad's real quick first. It came second on the page because, you know, writers are always first. And Trad's is just your bullshit typical PR. The world of comics has always improved with the release of a new Trad Moore project, making a huge splash with images the strange town of Luther Strode in 2011. Moore quickly established himself as one of the most distinctive and exciting artists of the 2010s, frequently oscillating between boundary-pushing original stories and immensely imaginative takes on longtime fan-favorite characters, including Marvel's Silver Surfer and Ghost Rider. You know, so there's a yeah, little bit typical. of, you know, yeah, typical stuff, a couple flowery words in there, you know, nothing too crazy. Kind of harkening back to our last episode where we were talking about how fucking crazy writers are. Well, you big two writers specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're big two writers. I'm going to read you James Tenyon's bio that he definitely 100% wrote himself. And none of this is made up, by the way. Much like Batman himself, James Tenyon IV is prepared for anything. Starting his career in comics as an intern for DC Vertigo and studying writing under fellow Batman scribe Scott Snyder, Tenyon hit the ground running when the opportunity to begin writing Batman for DC presented itself. Starting by co-writing backups in the main Batman series, Tenyon went on to write spinoff titles, oversee two weekly Batman series, have a celebrated run on Detective Comics, and most recently take the comics world by storm with a stellar run on the main Batman title with artistic powerhouses Jorge Jimenez and Gillum March. At first glance, you'd think Tenyon had only been working the past decade for this, but <laughs> but in truth, he's been working his whole life for it, honing his craft as a writer and getting ready to say everything he ever wanted to say about the Dark Knight. You must be wondering how we came to this moment, Mr. Wayne. Let me see if I recollect. Some stuff happened. You sucked my dick. My father. Like a lot. My father never accepted Bane. How was that, by the way? Are you done? I hadn't showered that day, and I fight crime in a rubber suit. Really seals in the flavor. Oh, dude, Jesus. Tenyon is one of the biggest writers in the industry today, seen as one of DC's finest storytellers, and currently writing many beloved creator-owned projects. Much like Batman himself, James Tenyon IV doesn't sleep much either. That's truly demented and deranged behavior. He wrote that thing in third person, which, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but the fact that, like, how many times did this motherfucker say Batman, like, and compare himself to Batman, a fictional character, in his little about me? Yeah. And I also like the Scott Snyder name drop. Yeah, it's like, dude, this just to me reinforces that these like writers for these companies have to feel important because Tradmore like just imagine getting Tradmore's art for your script and you just have to seriously just like be like well I guess I'm just gonna well, I wrote it yeah, I guess I, I guess I should just you know write more shit about myself <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's just fucking delusional behavior. Like, that. Yeah, I hate to see it. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Hate to see it. Another uh, story, J.H. Williams, to me, is like uh, a god when it comes to like mainstream comics. Like, anytime he works on any book, I check it out at least. But he did a story in this, though, where it's like, you know, if you've seen J.H. Williams pages, you know how they are. There's no like defined like structure usually. It's like a collage that's, you know, beautifully woven together. Uh, a lot of watercolor and uh, traditional analog tools as well. But the story is like, there's not many words. So it's told through like, uh, it looks like Batman's mom's pearl necklace is being broken. So the story is told in the pearl necklace, like the beads that are kind of dancing across the page, if that makes sense. But eventually the beads turn into covid <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah. yeah and batman's talking oh, about yeah. how it's the uh the only enemy that he can't fight but he's gonna do Poignant. everything he can to help and it shows him jumping off of a building going to fight crime while wearing a face mask 
<laughs> damn, so true. <laughs> Batman said, wear your damn masks. Do, do you think like- And then Commissioner Gordon introduces Joe, Joe Biden <laughs> and, and they talk about how uh, they're finally going to bring back uh, the decency to Gotham City. <laughs> do you think Bruce Wayne would be for or against masks? I think he'd be indifferent because he'd have a cure already. That <laughs> and it would be just for him. Could you imagine, like, if he like he wore the mask when he was Batman, but he refused to when he was Bruce Wayne? Alfred's fucking dying of COVID, and he's like, "Sir, will you please wear a mask?" And Bruce is like, "I just wear a mask all the time, Alfred." <laughs> And he can't bring himself to put a fucking like PPE on. And I don't know. I just feel like Bruce would well, I mean, get- here, I, like, yeah, if you're if you're Batman, you don't need to actually wear a literal mask that you can buy at Walgreens. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Well, I feel like Bruce would be like the type to fuck around and get COVID from his fundraiser or some shit with all these rich people. But you know, you're right though. He probably has like a cure just in a vial. Yeah. Or some kind of uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean if you're just some fucking lazy ass writer, you can come up with something stupid enough. And yeah. It'll be in a book. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Batman Black and White, though, it gets my stamp of approval, though, from an art standpoint. And you can read that truly psychotic about the author that James Tenyon wrote. Yeah, I've never heard of him. And so I, I don't. Yeah, he uh, don't he created the uh, Joker's girlfriend. So, you know, he's oh, sick. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, Punchline. Yeah. <laughs> What a cool guy. What a cool company. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, props to you, James. You said you were uh, working your whole life to tell this Batman story, and I'm sure that you're going to say some things that have never been said about Batman, the most overdone character. Yeah, right. Batman's actually the strongest man in the world. Yeah. Not many people know this. <laughs> He's like if the CIA and the Marine Corps were like combined in a lab, but like- That's Captain America. But like cooler. Yeah. He only comes out at night, bro. Like me. Yeah. He's an operator. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> uh, that's all the news I had written down outside of our plugs. So what'd you You're find? fired, Cam. Okay. Yeah. So now I'll be taking over the show now. Yeah. Go for it. I got a PlayStation now, so I don't need this show. That's true. Yeah. 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 How's your, uh, how's your game going? Did you uh, hack everyone? <laughs> I don't even know. I fucked around and Tony Hawk Pro Skater like one and two, like the reissue for PS4 was on sale. So I played Cyberpunk for like two days and then I've been playing Tony Hawk. Cyberpunk is like, I mean, it's cool. It looks cool, but it's pretty much just like Fallout, but you're a crazier hacker and you can pick your dick size. So if you played Fallout, I mean, I'm not like a hardcore gamer really, but it just seems like Fallout to me. Like if you told me that was a Fallout game, I would have believed you. That's my review. Well, you heard it here first. Four out of five stars. Like, it's so weird, though. So many people, like, talk about with Cyberpunk, like Keanu Reeves and stuff. I've been playing that game for, like, I probably put a good, like, 11 or 12 hours into it, and I still haven't met Keanu Reeves. So, I don't know where the fuck he's at. That's funny. Yeah, I did see that, uh, what's his name? The dude who made Death Stranding is in it. Kojima? Apparently, he's just walking around in the streets in Cyberpunk. You get to, like, bully him? <laughs> is <laughs> I don't that know. the feature? Okay. I haven't found him. Yeah, he probably does. Oh, uh, speaking of DC Comics, we want to go ahead and send out a sincere apology to one Shane Davis. <laughs> uh, we completely overlooked this very important story that took place originally back in November of last year and then kind of continued to develop through the month of May of this year. Really, really sorry about that. To maybe do a brief review of the important news that we did miss out on reporting. Yeah, if you're listening to the show, you're like us and you didn't know who Shane Davis was. Right. 
Yeah. So, but now we do know who he is, and so his story must be told. Yeah. So, just a little bit of background on Shane. He is currently employed by DC. He is working on the Metal Men book with Dan DeDio, and he had previously worked on Superman Earth One, and he is also affiliated with Comicsgate. Yeah. So, he's a cool guy. And so, there was a bit of some, uh, it's it's very, it airs on like wacky sitcom storyline. Shane Davis was selling a Jeep that belonged to his late mother. His mom had passed, unfortunately. Before that sale took place, his dad did not remove all the items that belonged to Shane in the vehicle. And that also included two portfolios of original artwork. So, Davis tries to track down the portfolios and decides to meet this guy in a parking lot. Before they meet, I guess Shane found out that this guy was shopping around his portfolios trying to sell it. I think he was also trying to sell it to Davis's own art dealer, Splash Page Art, which is very funny. And I think Shane made an offer to try to get the pages back. Yeah. So, when this guy was shopping it around to Splash Page Art, whose client is Shane Davis, they, of course, alert Shane Davis about this. And so Davis arranges to meet with this guy in a parking lot. And well, Cam, you can tell what happened from there. Yeah. So I guess Shane was trying to get his pages back. And what ended up happening was a guy who looks to be wearing a FedEx uniform (laughs) ended up straight up choking out Shane Davis in the parking lot. There are pictures because Shane has, uh, well, he did. He started a GoFundMe to help with legal fees, but the GoFundMe has since been removed. But in the GoFundMe, the photos were published of Shane like laying down with this guy on his back, just choking his ass out in some kind of sleeper. And yeah, uh, he's th- knocked out. His eyes are closed. He's he's catching some Z's. This guy is just smiling away with his <laughs> arm wrapped around <laughs> Shane's neck. It is a beautiful image. Yeah, so this fucking Comicsgate douchebag tried to go get his art back, and this guy, I guess, didn't like his attitude, or something happened to where he choked his ass out and assaulted him. As far as what happened with the case, I didn't see any updates on that. However, there was a little twist... Yeah, before all this took place, he had filed a stolen property report. So when the police arrived after he got knocked out, they told him that he had filed the report in the wrong county to where that meeting took place. And so the police actually returned the portfolio to the guy and not to Shane. So the guy choked out (laughs) Shane and got to keep his art. (laughs) Yeah, all in the same (laughs) night. That is, man, he hate to see that. That's, that's... But yeah, I guess if you want to fucking help Shane's legal bills, go check out Metal Men that I didn't even know was a thing from DC Comics. Yeah, or support any one of the 12,000 Comic Gates affiliated Patreon uh, or Kickstarter comic projects, and maybe it'll work its way back up to him. Who knows? I don't know how these things work. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. I'm sure that uh, Shane won't be quiet about it whenever he does decide to get on one of those platforms. Yeah, well, considering we just found out he existed, I don't think it'll be a problem. (laughs) Oh, no, but I'm on Shane Davis watch now, so uh, Uh, yeah. So we posted about this on our Instagram, which is at gutterboyspod, in case you don't follow us. But in old man internet drama, old well, old head cartoonist internet drama, Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame posted a uh, Tony Sammons comic on his Facebook with the caption, for no particular reason, The Hulk Fighting a Bear by the great 
Tony Sammons. Well, Bill Sienkiewicz, who, uh, you know, I actually like Sienkiewicz. Uh, some of his newer stuff that's like, you know, just like portraits of celebrities and shit, whatever, that can kick rocks. But as far as like his comics work, you know, I'm a fan. Uh, that stuff he did with Frank Miller kicks ass. But Sienkiewicz, I guess, was in his feelings <laughs> on Facebook. And uh, keep in mind, this is just a very tame post where it's just, you know, literally a picture of a comic panel and Mike Mignola saying that he fucks with Tony Sammons. But Bill Sienkiewicz decided to comment, I don't dislike like too many people in our business, but Tony would qualify if I gave enough of a shit about him to care. He was fucking my wife in the early 80s, one of the reasons why I got divorced. So in that, he did me a favor. The two deserved each other. All in all, he's a talented douchebag. Emphasis on douchebag. So, do you think Sinkevich knows how the internet works? Like, do you think he thought that that was like a DM to Mike? It's hard to say. I, I, I wouldn't put past him not caring and just airing that stuff out and then, you know... 20 or 30 minutes after the fact, regretting it immediately. <laughs> yeah, well, and that was also apparently on Magnola's like personal Facebook. So I guess that was a scoop. But um, someone we know <laughs> had posted that on Twitter and that's where we got it from. But apparently uh, he blew up Sienkiewicz's spot by posting that because it was like Mike Magnola's friends only post. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> That rocks. So I don't think it was like supposed to come out like it did, but... But if you're posting it on Facebook, I don't know. Right. Like I don't, you know, like, is his account like private or something? Well, I think Mignola like has like certain posts that are set to friends only and then like his promotional shit. Like if you just look him up on Facebook, you'll see that. But that post, like I went and looked and did some investigating and I wasn't able to find the post. So I definitely wasn't able to see it not being his friend. Have you ever met Sinkevich though? No. When would I have? I didn't know it's some kind of comic show. I've seen his his booth. Yeah, is I don't fucking, care for his work, but so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. His booth is always like super pretentious looking. I've seen like pictures of it on the internet. It, he sets it up to look like an art museum. <laughs> like it has like makeshift walls and everything's hung up. This could have been, you know, a San Diego Comic-Con type setup, you know, something that's like over the top. But like, I feel like those are the only shows that guy does. Okay. Yeah. Katie Skelly actually DM'd us that scoop as well. Like, it's funny because we'd already posted it and Katie was like, this sounds like Gutter Boys News. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On brand. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Magnola, there was earlier on the year that whole fiasco relating to Scott Alley, who's a former Dark Horse editor. And it got so big that Mike Magnola had to go on social media and make like a big public statement about it and kind of distance himself safely away from that fire pit that was Scott Alley. So Guy Allen retweeted that and just went off on him, basically just breaking down how it was clearly his little PR statement about the situation was total BS. And I don't know. I love Guy Davis. Guy Davis is not only an amazing artist, but he also seems like the type of guy that isn't full of shit. And, you know, he's one of the few guys at that level that doesn't constantly enjoy the waft of his own taint, you know? <laughs> Whereas Mignola, definitely at, at this point, it's just his brain is gone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I fuck with Mignola from an art standpoint that Hellboy shit rocks. But yeah, I mean, him as a person, whatever. And also he how he dealt with Davis. I mean, I don't know if you remember all that stuff with the uh -huh. Hellboy and sort of the reason why the Hellboy movie stopped being with Del Toro. Oh, no, I didn't know about that. What, what happened? Oh, well, Mignola got really, really salty because 
Guillermo had hired Guy Davis to do a lot of the design work for the monsters. Mignola, I guess, had sort of this entitlement thing with Guy Davis, thinking he's he's my guy. He can't work on anything else. He'll be too busy. But it was a really well-paying gig. So I can't... I, I understand both parties were in a difficult situation, but like you can't be that disconnected from reality to realize that the artist that you want to work with is being offered a bigger gig for less work and much better pay and will also get his name out to a much larger audience audience than a Hellboy title on the shelf. Yeah, because Guy Davis was doing BPRD, right? Yeah. And so I guess it got to the point where Guy Davis just quit the series outright because of the behavior that Magnolia was having. But he also cited Allie early on. And this was in... Well, if it was the Del Toro movies, this is probably 2012, 2013, because the new one that just came out was not Del Toro, right? This was in 2011 is when he quit BPRD. And that's where they introduced the new artist, Tyler Crook. Oh, dude, Tyler Crook rules. I love his stuff. He did a book called Harrow County. I don't know if you saw it. It was like a horror, kind of a witchcraft kind of story. It was cool. Yeah, I'm not familiar with his work. Uh, But yeah, that whole thing stemmed from a disagreement about his gig with uh, Del Toro, and that eventually resulted to McNolan not really wanting to work with Del Toro anymore. Uh, And then we ended up with the uh, recent Hellboy movie, which I never saw, but I heard was really bad. Uh, But who cares? Whatever. Yeah, I didn't see that one either. I didn't think that uh, the dude from Stranger Things was a bad cast, though. I thought he kind of looked cool as Hellboy. Yeah, I I mean, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I guess like the actor of the of the year type star of the year from show of the year type of deal. I guess he fits it, but <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just it's lazy casting at the end yeah. of the day. You know, I, don't, I mean, they could have looked for someone, but why look when you have this guy? Yeah, that's so. fair. And I'm not saying he, I mean, I don't know. I didn't see the movie again. I, I don't know. So I didn't either. Yeah. Actually, the making of that movie has some really interesting stories too. The new one ne- or the Del Toro one? No, no, no. The, the new one. Oh, okay. Okay. So the director was Neil Marshall. I don't know if you're familiar with that director. Uh-uh. He did Dog Soldiers. He did The Descent. Oh, okay. I've seen The Descent. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's done a couple of other movies, but this was going to be his like big, big budget kind of blockbuster movie. And during the filming of that movie, it was around the same time as some of the shady stuff of about trafficking with like models and stuff like that to get deals and whatnot. It, it's very much tied back to the Me Too thing. But apparently Neil Marshall was rarely on set and was just busy, quote unquote, hanging out with these random models that would be brought to him on set. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so he wasn't doing a whole lot of actual directing. I think the, the uh, what is it called? Assistant? No. I don't know what the fucking title is. Second unit director? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, basically, yeah. The reason the movie is so fucking bad is because he just, he didn't give a shit about it. So the dude got his first breakout gig and then just like got a taste of Hollywood life and just ultimately just gave it all up on set. Just gave yeah, him the I guess devices so. of I, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's worked on big budget films before, but this, nothing at this scale and nothing with something that's like a recognizable, I guess, brand like Hellboy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he definitely definitely dropped the ball because he was busy getting his balls touched. But I don't know. He's an older guy too. I mean, maybe this was the first time he'd seen a vagina. I don't know. (laughs) Hell yeah. I think he listens to the show, but he, somebody sent me an image of this new comic that they were releasing. And this individual, I'm pretty sure he's white. Yeah, he's a white guy. And he's advertising his quote unquote short manga. Now, a couple things here. It's okay if you love manga and you're like not Japanese or whatever. That's fine. It doesn't matter. But if you consciously call your comic a manga and advertise it as such, and you're not Japanese, you're not making the book in Japan, am I missing something? What makes this a manga? Well, because aren't manga just Japanese comics? Like, isn't that just... So again, clarifying... This is not a Japanese comic. (laughs) 
this guy is not Japanese. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. It's- like, so pretty much, I guess, like, the novelty is, is that you just inverted it and made it read right to left. I guess. Did he? If yeah, he did, th- that's I, even more embarrassing if he did that. Yeah, I think the book reads right to left. Oh, my God. Okay. Damn. All right. <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're listening to this right now. <laughs> damn. I didn't know he made it right to left. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh because I like this dude. <laughs> Damn. Oh, my God. Oh. All right. Okay. Let me just level with you. Don't do not do that. Just don't do it anymore. You they, should. Uh, they're good drawings. You, they're good. You should And it's go. cool that you're making work, but please just ease off on that. Oh, shit. So, uh, a couple quick things to plug here. Friend of the show that I feel like gets brought up every episode because we love them. MS Harkness was on Noah Van Skyver's YouTube web show. I don't know what that web show is called, but I know that you guys probably do. I bet if you type in Noah Van Skyver into YouTube, it will come up and you'll be able to find his channel and look for the MS Harkness interview. Uh, also, big shout out to Kyle Overkill over at Pages and panels it's a comics podcast Uh, we were recently guests on so that episode should be coming out actually before this episode comes out so be on the lookout yeah it should be if you're listening to this on monday it came out over the weekend yeah so yeah kyle was nice enough to have us on and we talked a little bit about the show process sort of a year-end review i think kind of talking about all the things that have been going on and how they've affected comics and whatnot. So if you're into a nice little summary of our show for the last 11 months, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, it was cool to be on the receiving end of things. So shout out to Kyle for having us. It was a lot of fun to do. You can find that iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else, pages and panels. Speaking of podcast, the shadow that hangs over the gutter gang nation of Ramon Villalobos. Ramon has unfortunately started a new podcast with friend of the show, Daniel Irizarry. Daniel just did a book called Holy West with Seth Jacob that was successfully kickstarted, but their podcast- Ramon is posting. Yeah, Ramon is busy (laughs) posting. He gets some drawing done every once in a while, but you know, you know, it's really fucked up. Ramon actually posted it. There was a girl that I used to hook up with in college that like, I'm just still friends with on Facebook. There's like just people I just haven't deleted on there, you know, but I saw them, they posted a screenshot of one of Ramon's tweets about Gotham City and I just wasn't ready for those worlds to collide, to be honest with you. Just, yeah, I don't know how to process that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was a funny tweet, you know? It was about, you know, there being so many rats and chemical spills in Gotham that they didn't need Batman, they needed OSHA. Um, so I can see why somebody would find, you know, the humor in that, but it was just really funny just seeing, you know, a girl that has no relation to Ramon posting screenshots of Ramon's tweets on the Facebook timeline, unsolicited. But yeah, their podcast is called uh, Mex Flintayo. Max Flintayo. Yeah. In our DM, JB was saying that the production isn't as good as ours. It's not. <laughs> I'm just being real with Ramon. He wants me to be real with him. Yeah. It is like a pretty good show, though. They've had a couple guests on there. Uh, we might end up on there one day. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see what happens. No, we got we to gotta do an X-Men book or something before he'll give us the time. Yeah. The true outlaw of comics. 
And then one last plug to get in here, podcast related. There is a podcast out there called Masters of the Obvious. Previous guest and front of the show, Buster Moody, on an episode before this new one that just came out. So the week before last, you can look it up in their archives. They gave us a nice little shout out on their show. So uh, I listened to a couple of theirs. They're nicer than us, but, uh, you know, they lean left still. And uh, they definitely talk more about mainstream stuff, your Star Wars and mainstream comics. So if you wanted to listen to, you know, some talk about, you know, the other side of comics, the more popular side, I would definitely recommend checking out Masters of the Obvious. Did you see that tweet about the saying dudes rock that it was like a wolf in sheep's clothing? Like it was like the tweet was like, you should watch out for people saying dudes rock because there's actually a lot of ties to misogyny and (laughs) abuse towards women with it. And I'm like, what? I can't even say dudes (laughs) rock anymore. (laughs) You're doing misogyny by saying dudes rock. I just want to say that. Oh, damn. Yeah, unfortunately, second episode in a row, we've had bad news to report. Comics legend Richard Corbin passed away on Thursday. That was December the 10th. You know, he was a little bit older, but it's still a huge loss, I feel like, to the comics community. Corbin was an incredible artist that uh, had a style of his own and heads and shoulders above, I feel like, a lot of what was going on in mainstream comics when he was, you know, making them. I actually just learned on Twitter that uh, he painted the Meatloaf Bat Out of Hell cover, which like makes so much sense when you look at it, but I did not know that he was the artist on that. So rest in peace to Richard Corbin. Uh, What was your favorite Corbin book? Uh, we've talked about this before, but one of my favorite books is a comic drawn by by Corbin called Punisher the End, and it's one of my favorite Punisher stories. Corbin's art in it is amazing. It's just a really great story. Most of the work early on that I saw from him was a lot of the fantasy stuff, and I think what really got my attention was the covers that he did for Death Rattle, that old horror anthology comic. Mm. Uh, those covers are killer, like every single yeah. one that he did. Are, I think I've got just like one issue that but yeah yeah i think i have two or three of them but yeah they're really really solid he's also done some of my favorite ninja turtle covers too for the mirage run i've seen a lot of like those ninja turtle stuff like posted since he passed and that shit kicked ass yeah i mean yeah corbin is i mean just he one was of just guys. incredible yeah, he's he was untouchable. His work had like a very tactile quality to it. Like you could you felt like you could go out and reach the thing on the other side of that panel, even if it was like exaggerated or his work wasn't about photo accuracy, even though he had a lot of elements that kind of hint towards it. Yeah. But his stuff just felt like it had a mass to it. And it probably helps that he was also a sculptor and would make miniature sculptures as references for a lot of his drawings. And and that, I think, comes out through the drawings. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that, like, such a distinct style. Like, you could just look at it and immediately know it's, like, Richard Corbin. He did a book, I guess, in the past few years. I want to say through Dark Horse. It may have been IDW, but it was called Shadows on the Grave. And that book was actually fucking awesome. I think my favorite, I don't know about favorite, but a Corbin story I'm really attached to, just because I think it was, like, the first one I remember reading, was he did, like, a run on Hellblazer where Constantine goes to prison and like I just remember Corbin like drawing like prison cafeteria fight scenes and stuff and it was pretty sick. Did you ever check out that DC solo series where like they would give like they gave like 12 artists like you could do whatever the fuck you want and the book was called Solo and you just got to do short stories or whatever you wanted with DC characters? No, no, yeah, not familiar. He, he got to do an issue of that and it was really good. Just, you know, just his interpretation of playing in that sandbox. And yeah, I mean, it's just the heavy metal stuff, of course, you know, the high fantasy, high concept stuff. It's just 
Yeah, what a talent. Yep, there there will never be another Richard Corbin. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it does suck having to see him go. Yeah, it's been a weird year, man, for, you know, not stating the obvious, but another comic giant is no longer with us. So, yeah. Dan Slott, you're next. Yeah, so if you want to hear about our uh, year-end picks and stuff, since this is typically where we would probably do that this time of the year, listen to that Pages and Panels podcast we were on. I feel like we got into that stuff for that show. Uh, well, I was going to say, we're probably going to do a year-end review on the 21st. All right, well, yeah, it's enough wasting the time. We got a guest just rearing to go. Yeah. Also, our next episode will be us just kind of recapping the year. Whoever you think the biggest bitch in comics was for 2020, DM us. Well, we want to know who are the biggest pimps and the biggest simps of 2020. Yeah. So send us a top three simps and top three pimps of comics list to at gutterboyspod on Twitter or Instagram or email it to us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And once we tally up all the votes, we will be able to announce the winners on the next episode. Yes. All right. So we, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to be joined by Evan Salazar. So stay tuned. Okay. Got like an itching in the back of my throat. I hit my vape too hard or something. We'll be right back. More muscle, more power, more than a hero, he's a legend. Not even the mighty Batman comic can contain them. Pumped up new heroes, massive new weaponry. Power Guardian Batman, a mighty blast from Batman's past. Cyborg Batman, present day criminals wonder, is he man or machine? Future Batman rules the sky on power-packed wings of steel. Now Batman's more than a hero, he's a legend. Figures each sold separately. We'll try to explain our thinking on how we're coming across and why we're doing overkill the you way it is. You can think and draw at the hey, same time? Yeah. And especially if it's going to be overkill, his equipment's got to be overkill as well. Oh, heck so. yeah. Always okay, remember, here. always Already. remember he's tough, but he's not violent. Okay. along those lines, <laughs> he's got the biggest shoulder pads ever existed. It's like I this, figured he would. Chest. Okay, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him some big knee pads here because a guy like him that's got some armor and has got some guns and Has stuff like that is going to... Boy, he looks grim, doesn't he? Kids, you know, I mean, the kids, li the kids like the dark, moody stuff. Mm, I mean, they seem you know, to, the, yeah. I mean, you're... But I have a question I've been wanting to ask you guys. Mm -hmm. How long does it take these people to get dressed, these kind of characters? Who says they undress? <laughs> I mean, there's something they have to get out quickly to save the world, but it takes them an hour and a half to so, get into all of this stuff that's if right. they work fast. That's right. Getting into the costume is like going to the bathroom in comic books. You never show it, but you assume that Superman and Batman and Spider-Man actually do go and urinate every now and then, You're right? right, but you never do show it, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you do show, very often you show people getting dressed, especially women. I seem to recall that now. Yeah, no. Do you draw hands? Are you into hands? Oh, really? yeah, I'm the best. You do hands? Yeah, but why don't we give them here wires coming out here, coming oh, down. Up. They the love kids, that The kids stuff. love wires. The wires oh, that yeah, he'll trip over. Why don't we do oh, yeah, yeah. So, hey, you draw good wires. Oh. Um, does he have a double identity? Is he really no, a meek uh, accountant who, who, in real life? Who, who else could he be besides Overkill? Well, I mean, what if, when he takes off all these clothes, is he a 97-pound Do you, do you see him taking rough fist? Okay. Okay. His thumb. He would have three different cannons different, that are okay. facing you for the large kapui. So right here. They could be like missile launchers or whatever. 
but he's going to have those right over here. What makes you make those value thing. judgments? Why only three? He's got four knuckles. Because the reader's crazy. Why does he have more on that side than that side? No, no. For the sake of our unseen viewers, mm -hmm. is this really the type of thought process that you guys go through when you yes. create characters? Except, except for we have more than 20 minutes. We <laughs> <laughs> usually probably longer than you usually do. Well, I think I, I've got to say seriously, which isn't easy for me to do, but I think it's very impressive that in a matter of 20 minutes you guys could come up with something like this. I mean, bad as it is, it's still <laughs> impressive that you were able to do it this quickly. Well, we're, yeah, that's a cool logo. That Rob, really didn't cool. you promise that you would draw and we would do the talking? And I'm when sorry, you I'm grow sorry. up a little more, you okay. know, we'll let you in right. there with the grown-ups. Yeah. Well, when you, when you were creating characters, Stan, mm -hmm. uh, what was the process back then? I mean, because Rob and I right now, we do our own writing and our own drawing. We, we, don't, we don't collaborate with mm -hmm. anybody anymore, so... That's the problem, and I've been meaning to talk to you guys about that. Boy, he is one grim-looking guy. There's no way this man can move. He's got to have a power to defy gravity, I would say, just looking at He's him. He's a tank. I mean, I, what do you think of him? Now, the funniest thing would be if you say that these are jets and he's the fastest man alive. That and the way you have him. We've got to justify all of this paraphernalia somehow. Okay. I don't know that you're really doing my character right. That's all right, I guess, for a bunch yeah. of beginners. I, I just want you to, we have a minute and oh, a half, so I want to tighten those feet. Okay. All right, guys? Okay. Give him an ankle bone here, an ankle bone here. I think it takes you longer to sign your name Heck than draw yeah. a picture. You know? It is. I'm going to step out, okay? Incidentally, you guys have ruined us. We've decided to give up comics and we're going into showbiz. Now, back to our program. We're back from our break, and sitting with us virtually is cartoonist Evan Salazar, creator of the ongoing anthology Rodeo, and issue two is available now, uh, so we're going to be talking a little shop about their work. Uh, Evan, thanks so much for uh, hopping onto the pod. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super excited. Awesome, yeah. awesome. And uh, how's how's this lovely year treating you so far? Uh, you know, it's uh, treating me the way I think it's treating most people. A lot of ups and downs, but also lots of just kind of plateaus. You know, weeks kind of get lost in the shuffle. You know what I mean? Just like yeah, that that is certainly true. Yeah, just like yeah. You know, I was thinking the other day, like there's definitely been at least like a month or so where I didn't touch like a pen or a pencil or anything. You know, just kind of like was trying to just wake up and live and then go to sleep and couldn't. Think about much else. Yeah, that's pretty much what I would say. Uh, me and Cam have gone through. Have gone <laughs> yeah. through. Yeah, it's like we're in some sort of not quite hell per se. If anything, it's more like a purgatory, some sort of limbo yeah. space. Yeah, yeah we are definitely go. in limbo. That's for sure. But uh, luckily, comics are made in limbo anyway. That's so. true. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, we'll do. We got a lot of questions, I so we're going to circle yeah. around at the end. And I feel like a lot of the questions are going to be answered possibly in the interview. So okay. um, if if we don't end up, you know, asking your question, it's probably because it got answered. But we're going to get to that at the end. So Evan, uh, where you're from? One of the Carolinas, is that right? Asheville. So I I currently live in Asheville. Yeah, but I'm I'm originally from uh, Tucson, Arizona, actually. Okay. Oh, Hell okay. yeah. How long have you been in uh, Asheville? been in Asheville for, I think, about two years now. Actually, maybe more than two years, two and a half years, something like that. Have you ever done Asheville Zine Fest? 
Uh, no, I have not. I think the okay. year that I moved here, I like just missed it. And then I don't think they've done it since. Okay. No, there was like a running joke on the uh, first few episodes. Like Asheville was a really cool city, but that zine fest was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You and well, Blake what was really it like? hated it. Yeah. Wait, well, I'm curious. Dylan Drug Dogs and I had gotten a table and we were right next to Pat Rooks and Ben Sears. So like the company was cool. Yeah. But like it was in this art gallery in the basement, but they wouldn't let people come in from the top, like the actual gallery entrance. Mm-hmm. You had to like drive around the back of the building and it was in this like where I would imagine they unload like trucks like it was, <laughs> right, there was a garage right. door <laughs> and uh people we were working stationed. their day jobs yeah yeah and it was like in this little warehouse that nobody could easily find so everybody was like advertising it as at this art space but like the art space was just closed and it <laughs> like the doors weren't even unlocked or anything so turnout was like kind of weird and they had like readings but it was like a small space so like uh it was just super loud and kind of annoying when somebody was doing a reading just because like it was so loud and you were right there and then they had stationed us right next to like an ice cream booth So like it looked like we had a long line the whole day, but really people were just getting ice cream. So (laughs) did you take advantage of that? The dudes were really cool and we traded them books for scoops. So yeah, yeah, there you go. So that that was honestly the highlight. That's honestly the best comics trade I've probably ever heard of. You know, I don't want somebody's (laughs) I want want ice cream. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't need more books. I want ice cream. Yeah, but as far as like, you know, getting in the car and driving six or seven hours to, you know, not really move units or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> Asheville's yeah. really pretty, though. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, the city was cool as fuck. The drive was great. But the show, eh. Yeah, How I many? mean, Asheville is, is, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I, I agree with JB. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful place. And that was kind of what won me over when I first visited. Because my, my girlfriend does pottery. She has ceramics. And Asheville has quite a lively, like, ceramics community and sort of just, mm. like, yeah, sort of scene going on here. So that was the primary reason that we moved here. But huh. it's also, yeah, it's super gorgeous. You know, Asheville, it's not totally my speed, to be totally honest with you. But sometimes it's a little too crunchy. You know, it's a little too granola. I crunchy. was just about to ask, how many drum circles do you usually walk past in a given day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, honestly, if, these days during the pandemic, only two to three or so, you know. No. Uh, it, it, yeah. If you go downtown, yeah, it's just, yeah, full on drum circles, drug rugs, you know, a lot of just like people walking around with no shoes on. I see that all the time. I see so many people in like, you know, a regular part of town or whatever. Or nothing like special. This no shoes on, just walking around. It's disgusting. But <laughs> other than that, it's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So what's the uh, comics scene like? The only other person I know making work there, and I could be forgetting somebody, but I know actually two people. There's Scott Hensel and then his partner, Caroline. I think they're the only Asheville cartoonists that I know that are like that I follow anyways. Is the scene pretty cool there? I'm, I'm pretty Besides sure you, I mean, I'm pretty sure they live in Raleigh. I could be wrong, though. They, oh, OK. They, yeah. I think they live like four minutes or not four minutes, four hours like north of me. Oh, as OK. As, yeah. Yeah. I met them at that zine fest and just assumed they were from there. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, OK. As as far as the scene goes, you know, I haven't really I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, what's the word? I, I like to be alone. You know what I mean? Like, I like to be mm-hmm. alone in my basement working on stuff. So, you know, there have been times where I'll meet people and they'll tell me about like a drawing club that happens somewhere or, you know, little things like that. But for the most part, I kind of just keep to myself. There is Wooly Press. They're like a risograph print place. And did they do a Mason Dickerson book? They might have. They, they do a lot of stuff and their stuff is really cool. I, I haven't really done anything with them yet, but the studio is like 
a five minute walk from me. So I, I've popped in from time to time. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool. And then, I mean, as far as a comic scene, you know, not not really. There's really no comic scene that I know of. You know, there are a few cool comic shops. There's a lot of shitty comic shops here, too, in town. Uh, I'll, I'll, I won't say the names of the shitty ones, but the cool ones. Uh, there's like Comic Envy. Comic Envy is pretty cool. And then there's like the place called Mr. K's Books, which is like a big used bookstore. And they have a pretty cool selection of like comics and graphic novels and stuff. And yeah, you know, it, there are comics around, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a part of any comics community here in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. So when you're at a comic store, what are you usually looking for? When I'm in a comic store, the first thing I go for, for sure, is like the cheap bins, like the 50 cent dollar bins, because... Hell yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. That's definitely the first thing that I always zero in on, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys are the same way. You know, I, I want to find the weird old stuff that, you know, they printed like 50,000 copies of it in 1988 or whatever, and they all just like yeah. sit in a box in somebody's <laughs> basement. And, you know, th- and that's the stuff that, that I'm interested in, because, uh, you know, for the most part, I, you know, I, I'm not like a Wednesday guy. I don't really read superhero comics at all, but I'll read them mm-hmm. if they're old and interesting to some degree. Yeah, right, right. Well, and the best part about like those boxes to me anyways is uh, the fact that like they're really, you know, more times than not, not even organized. So if you're just like going through the regular bins, like you're going to look through, like if you're in the bees, you're going to look through a thousand issues of Batman. But like, oh, yeah. there's like the whole thrill of like just what's going to be the next book and everything. And usually it's, you know, like you said, some kind of like obscure thing that's just like more times than not, like. I'm looking for like trash. Yeah, uh, yeah like for sure. Entertainment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if yeah. I find something that's like legitimately good, I mean, it's a great day. Yeah. If I, you know, but yeah. I feel like usually, especially like a comic envy, I've looked through there like cheap in so many times. I'll flip through every single Batman comic, every single Spider-Man comic through the S's just to see if there's something, you know, that's in there. Like I remember, I think I was going through there and it's always fun when you find like a nice vein of some sort of book, you know, in the boxes, like five to six copies of something. And I found it's it's like a Dark Horse Presents. It was like a Dark Horse anthology they did back in like, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s. And it has like Mobius in it. And then it has like uh, Eddie Campbell stuff in it. And it's just like oh, yeah. a nice, yeah. yeah, I found a nice grip of those. And I was like, oh, this is a successful bin diving day. Yeah, that era of Dark Horse was like crazy. It was like concrete with Paul Chadwick and they were doing like a lot of Moebius, like Joe Dorowski stories. And then you'd have like Sin City in those issues. Like there's some good. Sh- and like you said, the Eddie Campbell stuff, there's some like good shit during those years in those issues of there's like also, DHP or whatever. Yeah, there's also like a, I think in the ones I have, there's like a whole Predator comic, like the movie Predator. I forget who does it, though, but it's it's entertaining to look at. It's well drawn. Hell yeah. So let's get into a little bit of your process. You just released Rodeo number two. And you got a mice grant for that, right? Uh, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, man. That rocks. Thank you. Thank you. What was the process of that like? You know, because the first issue was self-published. I know you were kind of posting online. I know that like, you know, you were hand assembling all of the first issue as well as Wimp Digest. And then the second issue, you know, you had to send back like the first run because you weren't happy with the printer. And it was the first time that you kind of abandoned the DIY, you know, approach to it. So what was like getting the grant like and, you know, actually going to a printer for the second issue? Getting the grant was, you know, very easy, very cool. I just sent, I saw that they, you know, were running this thing and they offer like a small, I think it's like, it's very small. They offer you like a hundred dollars because they give it to like 20 different people. And then I think there's like a grand prize winner and they get like $500 or something like that. And I mean, I, I think I had like half of the issue of number two drawn and inked and they were looking primarily for finished things, but I sent them those pages being like, you know, this is what I have 
you know, see what I'm working on. And a few weeks before they made the decision, I got another email from them being like, hey, do you have any more pages to show us? Which to me, I took as like a good sign. Like, oh, I guess they, they like what they see. So luckily I had sent some more pages and yeah, I got an email, you know, a few weeks later saying that I, I got the grant, which was fantastic, but it also meant that I had a fire under my ass, which is, you know, maybe you guys can relate. One of the only ways comics really get made is to have like a deadline or someone being like, you need to finish this by this exact date. So that's, yeah. that's what that was. Yeah. Like I, I had only had at that point I had yeah a little bit more than half of the issue done and so I had to be like well shit they they said you know there was some sort of arbitrary date like by November first you have to send your comic to the printer or whatever however you're deciding to do it so I was just like I did I did not meet that date I think I sent my comics to the printer like a week later or something which was yeah it, it was a printer that was suggested to me by some of our cartoonist friends I'm sure friends of the pod Josh Josh Pettinger and some other people use this comics printer and they. All had great things to say about them, but when I got my comics from them, I was you know very excited. Obviously, I opened it up, the package, and all the comics were just like completely warped. Like all the pages were like super wavy, not in the way where it's like ah, no one's gonna care, like they won't notice. Like it was a very noticeable waviness to the pages, which was really frustrating for me, and especially because. Like, you know, I had to message them and send them all these pictures and they were like, well, is it because of this, that and the other thing that you did? And I was like, no, it wasn't like, you know, I'm pretty sure it was on your end. Like I got the package. They were like this. I didn't touch them. So it kind of became this whole thing. And then once they finally agreed to reprint them, it was the week of the election. And I guess just like pretty much all mail that week. I don't know if you guys experienced this, but all the mail that week got completely fucked up. Oh, and, yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah. So like I had this, you know, package of comics and I, you know, I'd ar- I already had people's money at this point. You know, people had already paid for the comic because I thought I had them in hand, but I didn't. So for a whole week, like I was just like sort of feverishly refreshing my tracking information on that package of comics <laughs> and just, you know, waiting and trying to, because it wouldn't, it wouldn't update. It wouldn't even tell me where it was. And I was just like, God damn it. Like I was just sweating over it. Cause again, it was this weird guilt thing over like people already bought it. And I, you know, and so I, I, and I know everybody, everybody understands, you know, especially people who are into like independent comics, you know, they know that it's not easy to get these things out into the world, but still I, I was sweating it a bit, but then they, they showed up and they looked great. And I was, I was happy with the, with the print job and everything, you know, it's my first time working with a printer and I think in the future I'll for sure work with printers again, but I think I'm going to either go local or go friends, you know, because I know a lot of people who have different sort of, you know, initiatives and studios and print shops and things like that. So I was just like, if I have to do like a big job like this again, I, I should just go to friends or go local instead of like, for some reason, getting things shipped across the country. It just doesn't really make much sense. And, you know, looking back right. on it. So if you have a physical copy of Rodeo number two, when you open it up in the cover, there's like some additional material. You uh, did the little like library book pouch with like, you know, fake library cards and like mm-hmm. a mini comic and a drawing in there. Was that something that the printer did for you or did you uh, glue all those in and assemble that yourself? I-, I glued all those in and did those all myself. The mini comic as well. I printed the mini comic. I have like a sort of mid-tier inkjet printer scanner thing that I print all my other stuff on. So I just printed it off on that, you know, cut them all myself, staple it all myself. And then, yeah, I, I, I bought those little library card pouch things like from some like internet I don't know, uh, like sort of directory thing where like libraries get their supplies. And so I just, those showed up and I, yeah, they have a nice like adhesive back on them. Just stick them on. And yeah, it, it, it came out really nice. I was really happy with how those came out. Yeah, it looks great. And, you know, it sets it apart 
you know, and I honestly thought the printer did it. I mean, that's how good it looks. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're doing things yourself, like, it, well, me, not you, but, you know, if something's not perfectly aligned, like a staple or right. like, you know, a page, that shit just happens. But yeah, no, it looks great presentation wise. There also was a format change, though, in size. Mm-hmm. You had like the standard, like, I feel like half zine, like half piece of paper zine size for the first one. And then Rodeo 2 was, you know, your traditional comic size. Are you planning on staying at that size? I think we asked Pettinger the same thing, but kind of interested with like, you know, the book changing shapes and size and format. You know, I've been I've been wondering the same thing myself. I'm not sure I'm convinced on the comic book size. I don't know what it mm-hmm. is, but I, do you guys like like when you get a new a new comic if it's comic book size? It feels weird to me. I don't know exactly what it is. It's I think, and I know Cam, you and I have like messaged about this. I think the uh, the magazine size is probably one of the greatest comic book formats that there is. I would love to do something at that size, but I've kind of shoehorned myself into doing something that's either comic book size or digest size because so most of like the bulk of uh, rodeo is going to be collected into a book, you know, years from now is the sort of idea. And so I want to make sure that there's at least some sort of consistency as far as the way it looks and panels and that kind of stuff. So I've kind of like married myself to the idea of like, if I draw on like Bristol board, it's 10 by 15 live area. And I'm like, okay, whatever I can fit into that, you know, live area is, is what it'll be. So I, I can't really go any bigger than that, but I like digest size. I, I kind of like digest zine size. They're, they're, it's it's got a nice feel to it. I, I, and I also think that no matter what, comic art always looks better when it's like reduced in size. I can't explain why that is, but I just think you know when you take a big drawing and put it on you know like a five by seven point five paper, it just it just looks so good for some reason. At least to me, it does. So I don't know, you know. Honestly, I'll probably continue to do comic book size for the next couple issues. But once I'm done with the story I'm working on, I'm excited to try something different. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, my preferred size is eight by 10. I think that's like amazing. But yeah, comics, traditional comic size, it's just such a weird, it's just like weird dimensions. Like I get it. It makes sense. And I guess it's the industry standard. But I mean, even I would even prefer like a golden age size mm, over this, mm-hmm. like, you know, just slightly larger, you yeah. know, like it doesn't make it look as like awkward. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's something I don't, I, I can't, I wish I could put my finger on exactly what it was about like the standard comic book size, but it just always, there's just something off about it that I can't put my finger on. Speaking of Josh Pettinger, you two worked on a small anthology called Wimp mm-hmm. together, which was also in a digest format, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Was that just a one and done type thing or were there any intention of like continuing that as an anthology? Yeah, we definitely want to do more of those for sure. I think, yeah, because we made that at the beginning of the pandemic and, you know, that's when we all kind of we were like, oh, what should we do? And I, I was kind of avoiding working on Rodeo 2 because it was such like a serious, you know, I take, I, I don't know, like the way my brain works, I'm like, oh, that's like my serious comic work, whereas anything else I can kind of be a little bit more loose with. And so him and I were like, let's just do a quick little zine that's like fun, no pressure, and we can just continue to make these and they can be whatever we want them to be. Like we've talked about our next issue being about uh, comic strips about our dogs. <laughs> so th- <laughs> so uh, th- th- that might be Wimp Digest number two, stories about our dogs, because we're both obsessed with our dogs. So yeah, it's kind of this place for us to do whatever we want. I really want to do another one. It's just busier than I thought I would be. And I think he's the same way too. I, yeah. I, we wanted mm-hmm. to do a number two by the end of the year, but that obviously did not happen. 
It was a fun book. I loved it. And it was, yeah, I remember getting it right at the beginning of the pandemic. And like, it was like one of the things that like, I remember coming out and like actually being excited for. So it was nice to, you know, get that, you know, just staying at home. So how did you like, I feel like you and Josh, you know, Josh said that you all were supposed to hit the uh, show circuit together this year, you know, before the pandemic kicked in. Like, how did you all link up? Was it just on the internet? I feel like you guys are always like kind of teaming up or. Oh, yeah, we definitely were in the same conversation. God, at this point, whenever he put out number three, I used to have this blog with a friend of mine mm-hmm. and I wrote about Goiter 3 because I mean I don't know about you guys but when, when I saw Goiter 3 I was like oh the, he is head and shoulders above the pack of like everybody else doing like self-published stuff right now in my eyes like I just think Josh is like a legitimate cartooning genius and so I just wrote this like effusive thing trying to become his friend essentially and I sent it to him being like hey I wrote this thing about your comic and instead of being like weirded out by that he was like oh cool and you know we just were kind of like Instagram friends for a bit. But then I think it was maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, I went to Chicago for a friend's wedding. And I was just kind of like, fuck it. I'll see if Josh wants to get a drink. So I messaged him and messaged him and was like, hey, want to drink some beers and talk about comics? And he was like, yeah. And so we met up and we just, you know, hit it off and became friends. And from there, you know, we just kind of have sort of decided that our comics journey is going to be with each other. You know, him and I are constantly sending each other pages and drawings and things, just, you know, trying to get like a second opinion on stuff. Because, yeah, as you guys know, comics can be such a lonely thing, especially when like you're working on something and you have like 10 pages of it and you're just like, is this good? I can't even tell if what I'm doing is good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's really nice to have a friend that you can just be like, hey, is this good? Because Josh and I are also like brutal honest with each other i feel bad one time josh sent me something and i i tore it to shreds and so this is me apologizing to josh on air because I, I, I i was just like i was like oh yeah this is why these are all the reasons this is bad but i think him and i both appreciate that in each other and it makes our work better at the end of the day because you you just need that sort of you know uh third party critic to sort of uh, deconstruct your work for you i guess well, and you know, it's like strange. It's like I'm the exact opposite of that. Like JB and I are in some group chats and like a lot of them, like JB and, you know, the participants in those chats, they share a lot of work. I'm very like I only put like work up once it's pretty much done. And the reason that is, is I just feel like all my friends are so much better than me <laughs> that like I don't even want to hear what they have to say. So I just shut like, well, no, 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 yeah, I'm, being, no no, I'm being dead serious. No, I hate like the way I my process, the way it works is like I feel like I've got to keep up in like a friendly way with everybody else. And like I just feel like I don't know if I would have the heart to because it's really strange like you know I I started my journey in comics as like a fan of a lot of the people that I'm like DMing with now you know saying like JB I was a fan of JB's work before I ever like met him so it's like yeah like so it's just one of these weird things where it's like I'm not gonna make this if somebody like tears it apart so I just make it throw it at the wall and hope it sticks and like I'll take all the praise whatever I can get afterwards like I never workshop it's bizarre and probably not good for my work but 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 JB you workshop stuff you like oh yeah i'm opinion. Yeah. of the opinion that you know like you said since doing this particular line of work is very kind of alienating to begin with since you're mm-hmm. isolating yourself and you're just working in a room i'm of the opinion that it is important to get feedback every cartoonist whether they know it or not is giving feedback and getting feedback from other cartoonists some more directly than others so mm-hmm. it, i think it's like super important that you do have this sort of small circle of cartoonists and people that you can bounce off ideas and throw your work at and get notes from to improve your craft. Uh, that's really totally. the only way you can do it because otherwise it's just a, just one person babbling to themselves in their room. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's the exact, yeah, exact way I feel. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, see, and I'm the exact, like, I remember one time I had put out a book and Alex Null was, like, one of the first people to give me, like, constructive criticism, like, pretty early on when I first started making comics. And, like, I was just like, well, the book's out. The only thing I could do is take that, what he said, his feedback, and try to implement it into the next book. So it's, like, me just, like, working on, like, oh, well, you guys said this about the last one. Let's hope I can, you know, nail it on this one. But, yeah, I don't know. It's super weird because, like, I hate having to redraw things if I don't have to, like, (laughs) once it's pretty much finished. So it's, like, I don't want the tone of some of the chats uh, that I'm in, like, I feel like I would get fucking roasted for having like a forearm, not the right dimension. So I'm just like, eh, I'm not fucking with this. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, come on. We'll, no, we'll no, see, no, 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 not ours. The, the, not the, the not the gutter gang one, but uh, you know, you know the one. Uh. <laughs> see, the, 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 that's why you gotta. For me, for me, there's like criticism that I'm open to, and criticism where I'm like, oh, I don't care. Like if somebody, like for instance, like I think I sent Josh a a panel from Rodeo Two, and I was working on it, and I was like, I was like, oh, it's with a, it's with like a guy, and a, there's like a bike, and I was like, oh my god, like the size is way off, like that bike is way too huge for the guy, right? And he was like, yeah, but who cares? And I was like, yeah, exactly. So I just yeah. didn't even cared about fixing it because yeah the person who's like reading your comic and being like this bike is clearly too big for this cartoon character just like <laughs> fuck you it's a comic it doesn't really matter you know so i hope an editor got fired for this bumble <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly oh so embarrassing but that's the thing if someone was ever like evan you're like foreshortening is bad i'd be like yeah i don't know how to draw like I, I, whatever so it, but then there's other things where like you know i really will listen to criticism very closely and you know it's it's uh it's it's good to do so i think so i don't know cam you should just fucking you know throw it out there you know show people your stuff people want to see it too i think i want to see it you know yeah well i'll have i have a dead like you said working to a deadline like yeah i've got two things that'll I'll, i'll have some stuff out in the spring sick Yeah, we'll see what's going on there. Back to like more of your process, though. Are you drawing every day? Because I know that like, you know, Rodeo, the first issue came out last year. This one came out a year later. So there was a year between books. Yeah, I know we haven't really announced it yet, but um, you did do a story for an anthology that we're about to put out for our second anniversary. And you did the Wimp Digest. Were you drawing just Rodeo 2 in between all that stuff? Or Yeah, yeah. In between Rodeo 1 and Rodeo 2, which was like a little bit more than a year. Yeah, I was pretty much just focusing on Rodeo 2. And I was probably drawing every day, but, you know, some days were more than others for sure. And plus, pre-pandemic, when I had a full-time day job, you know, it was kind of more like I went to work and then when I would come home, I would probably draw for like three to four hours or something. But a lot of times I would, I don't know, I would get stuck on stuff and I would just kind of let a page sit for like a week, you know, and not even touch it, maybe just think about it a bit and then come back to it. I'm, I have kind of like a scattershot approach to everything. Like I kind of try to juggle a lot of stuff at once and hopefully all those things kind of land at the same time as far as writing and thumbnailing or ideas and drawing and this kind of stuff. And I just kind of try to do them all at once and hopefully they all come out at the same time. But yeah, for Rodeo 2, it was a really just... It was not like a clock in, clock out, eight hour a day kind of thing. It was definitely, you know, in the hours I had afforded to me. But then with this year, with there being, you know, nothing but time now... I, I did make like a very regimented schedule, which again, I did not stick to, but it at least was a reference for me to like keep myself focused. You know, I, I had like a whole chart, you know, with like boxes where I was like, all right, like page one, there was pencils and there was ink and, you know, page two, pencils, inks, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had a calendar that was like pencil this page today and then ink it tomorrow and et cetera, et cetera. 
And that helped me definitely just to keep myself on top of it. You know, it's just a way to, even if you don't follow or I didn't follow it to an exact T and I was late, just having that there to like check something off manually, it gives, it gave me a reason to like, you know, finish a page because I was so desperate to put a little check mark in that box next to, you know, page four inked or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. because it made me feel like there was a, some sort of forward momentum, even if it was slow paced. But for the most part, I mean, again, in the pandemic, it's hard because there were definitely been weeks where I haven't drawn anything. And there have been weeks where I haven't drawn anything, quote unquote, seriously. I've been this more, I'm a very like compulsive doodler and I, I don't post any of that stuff really ever. But like, you know, I have tons of just sketchbooks filled with this, like, you know, scribbles essentially it's just like a way to sort of calm my mind and then there's you know my comics work which is i strive to be very refined i you know i I put blood sweat and tears into that stuff and that stuff is is hard to do but it's the most gratifying at the end of the day well and you did uh we didn't talk about it yet but you did put out the uh it was a pretty substantial size like sketchbook zine with some comics in Mm -hmm. it as well this year yeah and that was uh, i think it was like raising money i forgot exactly which organization yeah, it was raising money for, uh, it's called the Black Alliance for Just Immigration. And I, I chose them because there's another organization that I always kind of do fundraising stuff for. I'm doing a fundraiser print this year that I'll, I'll be able to post about soon for a place called the Florence Project, which is in uh, from Arizona. And they offer like free legal and humanitarian aid to people in ICE detention camps. Hell and, yeah. You know, on the border. So yeah, so that, that, yeah, that sketchbook scene, like I, all that stuff is stuff that would never see the light of day ever, except I was like, oh, I want to do something. I want to raise some money. And I have, you know, all these drawings sitting around that I don't intend to ever do anything with. So I was like, and you know, I'm not totally embarrassed of them. So might as well make a little book and, you know, in the future it can go on my table, you know, another thing to put on the table. So Mm -hmm. I know that Rodeo uh, has pretty much been, you know, made while you were in Asheville. Were you making and putting out comics while you were in Arizona? So I've kind of bopped around a lot as far as where I've lived. So before Asheville, I actually lived in New York City for five years because I was working in television and film production there. Oh, shit. I thought, yeah, because I thought that's what I wanted to do. That was my whole intention of moving to New York was like, oh, I'm going to work in TV and movies. And then I got there and I was like, oh, this is not the industry for me at all. When I was there was when I kind of got in more into comics. Like I've always been into comics since I was like, you know, a little kid. But it was in New York, especially when I was getting very disillusioned with film and television because you moving there I'm like oh yeah like I'll, I'll, I'm gonna make a film I'm gonna make a movie you, you meet all these people who are your age and just to sort of be excited about making a movie and then you you know are a PA on a set for a day and you're like this is the worst experience <laughs> I've ever had yeah. it's like I've worked 20 hour days you know on these sets and just doing nothing and actually that was where I sort of taught myself how to draw because I would truly be on sets for like 20 hours a day and I, I worked at a soundstage uh, so I wasn't on the cruise. I was sort of like the stage manager and, you know, I would fetch equipment and deal with problems and talk to producers and this and that. And a lot of that time was spent just sitting, truly just sitting and doing nothing. So it was then that I kind of taught myself how to draw or, you know, sort of try to find a style. And so that that job was very uh, conducive to comics. So I could teach myself how to do it. And I had nothing but time. But yeah, in, in New York, you know, I would go to like cab of a comic arts Brooklyn show and, you know, I would go to desert Island and I would, you know, see some talks and stuff, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was a part of any sort of comics community because I, I didn't really have any comics out at the time. I, I, I've done a few comic zines that are pre rodeo that are out there in the world, but they will never, ever, 
ever get reprinted ever. So if anybody <laughs> Did can you find put your them, own name on them, uh, I, I think my name is on them. Yeah. And like one of them, I don't think anybody has. I don't think I sold a single copy of the first one I did. And then the second one, there is a like independent bookstore, used bookstore called Human Relations in Brooklyn. And they have like a zine, like, you know, section. And I was just like, fuck it, I'll put my zine here. And I came back like a week later and all three of the zines were gone. And instead of being excited, I was a little bit mortified that anybody had bought it, uh, <laughs> which was which is what kind of led to Rodeo because I was like, man, I want to feel good about putting out a comic. Like, I don't want to feel bad that somebody bought my comic because I'm not super proud of everything in it. So once I put out that comic, which must have been like 2016, I think it was called Just a Bunch of Comics is what it was called. <laughs> it was very like amateurish, you know, very like, uh, I wouldn't say crass, but, you know, it was very like, fuck you kind of like, you know, zine thing. You know, the comics everybody makes when they first get into comics. It, it was that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I after that, I was like, okay, I want to pump the brakes a little bit. And if I'm going to put something out, I want it to be something that I think is, you know, I don't know, represents me better than than this. So, yeah. Nice. So did you uh, work on any uh, cool sets or was it anything? I, I, I have. I've, I have had some cool experiences on sets. I, I shot the shit and hung out with Carly Rae Jepsen for a while because oh. she shot a music video. Yeah, there. That was very cool. And then... They shot like, what else did they shoot there? So primarily where I worked, they, we shot a lot of reality television shows. Specifically, we shot Forged in Fire and Beat Bobby Flay. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with either of those. Your blade, it's curvaceous and sexy. And it will kill. That's the sword show, right? I know Bobby Flay, but isn't Forged in Fire like yes. a sword maker show? Okay. Yes. Yeah, Ye Wan, Ye Wan yeah. loves that show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That show is ridiculous. And I worked on that show for a long, long time. Uh, and then, you know, we'd have things like Naomi Watts filmed the movie there. And then I think they shot a few scenes from, what was that movie? I think it's called The Big Sick with like Kumail Nanjiani. And I think like Judd Apatow was the producer. So I saw him and I was like, oh, whoa, weird. Because that was the thing. Most of the people I didn't really get to talk to, I would just see and be like oh cool i saw this person but occasionally I, I could like kick it with the person like carly ray she was she was really cool actually she seems nice yeah yeah she was super nice yeah yeah, yeah. do you ever make a comic about your experiences working on a on a soundstage like that i've definitely thought about it just because i did experience a lot of crazy shit that job there was a lot of crazy shit with that job and I actually like in that just a bunch of comics thing there are these two characters i created who are essentially me and my coworker. because like that job we just we fucked off on that job so hard like there was an empty lot next door we would just smoke weed in that lot and like walk back over <laughs> yeah and you people would, like running around with lights and we're like what's going on and it was like a very funny you know one time i had to sleep in that empty lot because i locked my keys inside of the studio and it was like 1 a.m and everybody was gone so i had to like sleep in this empty lot and this like old like leather chair that was like rained on and snowed on and stuff it was really miserable so i i actually wrote a comic about that too i think it's in one of those early comics i did so i you know i, I have thought about it i i thought there is some stuff to mine from there for sure if anything maybe in like making some kind of like highly fictionalized version you know but uh something yeah there's definitely tons of material to mine so are you in like any kind of guild? Uh, no, no. The, 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 this this job was super. There was no unions, and in fact, like it was, it was so it was so sketchy. Truly, like I had to be on the lookout for like union bosses. Oh, like my shit. boss, my <laughs> boss was like, "If you see like this guy, let me know. I'll come over and I'll talk and all this stuff." Because it was a lot of the things that filmed there were not union crews, which was it kind of fed into like the place because the prices were. It, it was a kind of like a ramshackle operation. I, I don't want to name the uh, the soundstage I worked at. I can tell you guys. 
guys off mic, but it was definitely a bit of a, you know, it, it was a kind of a fly-by-night sort of operation sometimes as far as that kind of stuff went. Sounds like some Sopranos shit. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. So we did get quite a bit of questions for Evan, and a lot of those questions are going to lead to what we would have covered in our traditional interview. So we're going to go ahead and get into those. Cool. Alrighty. So as always, if you have questions for us or our guests on the show, uh, we are on social media at gutterboyspod on Instagram and Twitter, or you can email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. We usually put up like in our story, a little form where you can submit questions. And we also post where you can, uh, you know, ask in the comments or you can just DM us. Yeah, we're uh, getting better at checking the emails. So I check it at least, you know, a couple times a week. Feel free to send them over there. So friend of the show and previous guests, uh, Caroline Cash asked, what's next for Rodeo? Caroline, she's so talented. They're amazing. Next for Rodeo, well, uh, Rodeo number three, I guess, is next. But my whole goal with Rodeo, I sort of had this thing in my brain. So I'm actually, I'm turning 31 tomorrow. And my whole, since I started drawing comics, I was like, okay, by the time I'm 35, I want to have like a collected book of stories or whatever. It feels like enough time to have enough stuff to make a book. So yeah, Rodeo 3 is just continuing the story that I've done in 1 and 2. I have it all pretty much mapped out in my head. The entire arc of stories can be like seven chapters. This is the third chapter. And yeah, just going to keep on trying to be bigger do more stuff like you know like the the library card in rodeo 2 i really want to do a similar thing in rodeo 3 i think i'm going to try to create like a, a fold-out map i think is what i'm going to oh. do for that one because rodeo 3 is a it's a sort of like a road trip story so i want to you know have put some sort of you know thematic little extra in there so probably going to be a map but uh, obviously that could change you know at any moment so any no no one quote me on there's going to be a map in rodeo 3 but there <laughs> might be there might be when you hit seven are you done with rodeo or are you i mean i don't know if you've thought that far ahead but i know you said it was a no, seven part story i've i've kind of like my plan is to do rodeo and you know until i die essentially like i want rodeo to be the place for my long form comics stories like this always you know i want it to be like an, an eight ball or whatever right. you know so it's gonna be uh I, I have it kind of in my head it's kind of inspired by love and rockets so they have like volume one and volume two and then you know the new stories and that kind of stuff so the, the first seven stories are gonna take up volume one of rodeo mm -hmm. and then whenever that's over and the next one starts up they'll be volume two and you know they'll just kind of once each cycle kind of finishes the story they'll become a, a new volume Sick. So uh, another question for you, Evan, came from user Sadboy Angry Man. Uh, that's Frank there. Frank asked, what's Evan's writing process like? Sup, Frank? My writing process is, like I said earlier, it's a little scattershot. I will start off by just accumulating ideas, you know, and just like writing them in a notebook with whatever they are, like little sketches or sentences. And eventually, when I feel like I have enough of those little things that will make an interesting story. I'll start to try to find, you know, connections between these little things. And next thing you know, I'm starting to, you know, form character motivations and all this stuff. And so once I feel like I have enough of this like preliminary sort of thinking done, I will do the flashcard method, which is like I'll just, you know, take a bunch of flashcards and I'll draw just sort of what I see as key scenes from the book. And then I'll start building around those key moments. And I sort of just, you know, flood myself with tons of little index cards and then from that step it's a very it's such a long process from that step though i'll look at them and then i'll start adding my dialogue or narration boxes to those and i'll start stripping away and adding stuff and 
eventually it all ends up as like thumbnails. Like I'll, I'll take all of, you know, these journals and, you know, note cards and all that stuff and I'll synthesize it into thumbnails. And from there, I, I don't touch it. Well, like once the thumbnails are there, I, I can't go back and keep messing with stuff or else I'll never do the comic, you know? So I've kind of like, once I have it written, I just go from there. But a lot of times too, I'll, I'll usually know... Well, that's not true. I was going to say I usually know what I'm going to draw or write for any given panel, but that's not true. A lot of times I'll have like, you know, pages of thumbnails and then there'll be a page where it's be like, figure it out when you draw it. So it's kind of like, you know, I kind of dread those pages because when I get to that point in penciling and inking, I don't have anything to go off of because I couldn't think of anything at the time. So it's kind of like, oh, now I got to come up with stuff. And I don't know if he wants to be me to be this exact, but as far as like the actual writing, like, you know, my captions and speech bubbles and all that stuff like I you know I'll sit and I'll think of what I wanted to say and, and I'll write it down on a piece of paper and I'll say it out loud countless times and try to find the right words the right punctuation the right flow the right all that stuff until I feel like it kind of sings with the rest of the panels on the page and it all kind of has a nice flow to it so yeah I'm, I'm very uh, I, I get very granular when it comes to that stuff but yeah do you I know you said you had like a lot of uh, the rodeo, like the first volume one, I guess, uh, kind of mapped out. Do you have that like written out as well or is it just kind of just something that's marinating in your head? Uh, no, it's all kind of in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's all mostly in too. my head. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. So next question came from Instagram user Mark Makes Things. Mark asked, can you ask Evan about his upcoming music project and how his music or music in general influences his comics? Uh, hey, Mark. Yeah. So I, I've been playing music for since I was like a teenager. I play in like punk and hardcore bands and stuff and kind of lost that there for a while. But just recently during the pandemic, because I have nothing but time now, I was like, fuck, I'm going to get back into home recording. So I've been doing a lot of home recordings uh, here in my basement studio. And I don't know how much my music uh, sort of crosses over with my comics, but I can definitely say that my approach to comics and the sort of DIY punk thing, you know, I, I kind of approach comics with the sort of DIY punk ethics that I wouldn't abandon as far as like doing it yourself, making it accessible, not making just, you know, boring commercial bullshit or whatever, and just doing stuff that interests me specifically. Because that's the thing is rodeo, all of rodeo is just it was me trying to make a comic that I would want to read that I didn't think maybe exists out there. Like uh, that was the only way I could think of making rodeo good is if I was like, all right, like what kind of comic do I want to read? And so mm -hmm. in that way, it's kind of with music as well. You know, I, I'm not a great musician by any stretch. I, I like I said, I play punk and hardcore music. So, uh, you know, just music for people who don't know how to play instruments. So it's always a bit more about, you know, just the sort of passion on the page or in the music or whatever. So yeah, I try to, you know, approach them with the same sort of DIY ethics as far as that kind of stuff goes. And also it's just both are just things I enjoy doing that I have fun doing. And that's kind of also most important part for me about those things. Yeah. That are was you a rambling answer, but yeah. Oh, no, you're good. Are you still listening to a lot of punk and hardcore? Or? You know, I, it's one of those things, too, where I wasn't. For the past probably like five years of my life, I, you know, sort of like, you know, so I sold all my records and I, you know, got into like 70s, like psych bands, you know, and I got into like, like guitar country and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I got, you know, way off the punk sort of bandwagon. But then once I wanted to start playing music again, I knew that I am not able to play any other genre of music competently <laughs> than hardcore and punk. I just, I'm just not, I'm not a proficient musician. So I was like, oh, I, I want to get back into punk and hardcore. So I pulled out the records I still had and I, you know, tried to find some new bands. And so, yeah, I've been listening to a lot more, a lot, a lot more punk and hardcore lately, honestly, than I have in probably the last like five years of my life. 
any notable bands that you've been really into lately? Lately, yeah. Let me look. Lately, as far, I've been really into a lot of like anarcho UK bands from like the late 70s, early 80s. So bands like like Zounds or Thatcher on Acid, uh, you know, Crass. Uh, what was it? There was another band that I really like, Political Asylum. So a lot of those like UK anarcho bands, I've sort of like rediscovered them and really excited by them. And then as far as recent stuff, there's a great, I think they're from Portland. They're called Suck Lords and they're really fucking good. They just play really, you know, fast, snotty, mean punk. You know, they're nice. seven inches, like, you know, three minutes longer or whatever. So I've been really into that stuff. And then I wonder what else there I've been into. I don't really know. Oh, I've also been listening to a lot of like, man, Raw Powers, another old, great classic oh, hardcore yeah. punk band. Yeah. yeah, they're amazing. I've also been, you know, I, because I've been trying to find stuff to get inspired by, and actually, the first Angelic Upstarts album—I don't know if you guys have listened to that. It's it's like a it's it's pretty like straightforward oi music, but it's just it's so good, and it's been really I put it on all the time now. It's a great like wake up in the morning, get some energy kind of record. Nice. So, following up on uh, punk kind of questions, friend of the show, Strangers Fanzine asks pros and cons of Breaking Edge. What's <laughs> up, Eddie? Eddie Strange. Strangers fanzine, for your listeners who don't know, is like probably it's one of the greatest fanzines going right now. There's been a fanzine renaissance yeah. of like the past two years. Sure has. Yeah. Right? I just know Bubbles yeah. and Strangers, but I mean, like, I feel like they've got the game on lock. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so, so shout out, Eddie. As far as breaking edge, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I broke edge when I was 21. So it's kind of like I just followed the law, <laughs> essentially. But I'll tell you this the pros and cons of breaking edge. The pros of breaking edge is weed. That is yeah. the major pro of Breaking Edge. The major con of Breaking Edge is that you don't get to claim straight edge anymore. And every straight edge person knows that like you are a freak if you're straight edge. It's just like as simple as that. Like every straight edge person you've ever met is like a weirdo in some way, especially like straight edge people over the age of like 25, because they'll probably never break edge. And they have a true lock on being outsiders of society. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a little jealous of them, to be honest, to be like a 40 year old man with like, you know, gig posters all over my wall, you know, quoting floor punch still. Like, you know, those are the things that uh, that, that, that I, I wish I could still claim to, to, you know, hold on to some kind of cred. But unfortunately, uh, I smoke too much weed now. Amen. I was edge from uh, 14 to 16. So, uh, oh, wow. Two years. Two years. <laughs> there. So, yeah. That is such yeah. a weird age, too. To do that. Well, it was, it was pretty that. much when I got when I first started going to shows until uh -huh. I smoked a blunt outside of a show. Oh, so. there you go. <laughs> yeah. it's like, I can't yeah. legally consume alcohol, but none for <laughs> yeah. me. Thanks. <laughs> did you end up on howsyouredge.com is that still a thing i don't think that's a thing but i i, I did not I, I did not uh thankfully i wonder if there's there must be some like internet archive of that somewhere yeah goddamn all right next question is from nate garcia's cartoons they ask favorite work from klaus and was eight ball one of the reasons you chose the one man anthology format uh as far as klaus goes uh my favorite klaus book is probably the death ray i just think it's like his best I think it's most indicative of like what comics can be. And I don't think a lot of things have really compared to the death ray, in my opinion, as far as mm. just like art and storytelling and pacing and just, I mean, everything about it is pretty brilliant. But I also really love, there's a story that he did in 8-Ball called like a weed joe mm -hmm. that i think is like it's, it's his best writing i think i think it's like you know klaus's best writing and it's very influential story to me and then so which is to say that yeah i mean eight ball i mean i don't know any cartoonist right now who wouldn't say eight ball is some influence in some kind of way right but i you know yeah, so yeah. uh but yeah i mean yeah eight, eight ball is huge i mean it's even reading it now i did a big reread of it about like a year or so ago and i mean 
I just a lot of stuff can't compare to it. Like he really is the master. Like I really do like love. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like I just don't. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just he's so good, and a lot of stuff just can't compare to the quality that he puts out. But yeah, you also think about all the different stories that were packed into Eight Ball mm-hmm. over its run, and if you just put just a list of those stories up, those are like the top tier stories of small press comics. Oh, right. for sure, yeah. for sure. Like I can only think of like there's only a few stories. I think there's only there's one story that he hasn't ever uh, reprinted called I think it's, it's called Glue Destiny. It's from like mm-hmm. a, it's it's like a middle. I think it's from like number ten or whatever. And that's like the only one that he's like, oh yeah, I don't like this one, and I can <laughs> see what he's I can see what he's saying because everything else he's done is just like perfect. That this okay story next to everything else is like oh yeah we can leave that one out because everything else is just I mean, there's really no, you know, everyone is waxed poetic about Daniel Klaus for, you know, decades now. But I mean, you know, any, I'll I'll happily add to the waxing, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason why people do. It's because he's great. (laughs) Yeah. He's amazing. I mean, he's just like, he's the perfect synthesis of, to me, art and storytelling because he can draw like nobody else and he can write like nobody else. Like he just does both so well. How do you all uh, feel about his lettering, especially in those early issues, like Velvet Glove and stuff? I it gives I it a style. It. <laughs> you hate it. You hate it. Yeah, yeah I fucking it, hate it. <laughs> I'm yeah. I have a different opinion, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. It's definitely not as it's not the most readable thing in the world, you know, when he's doing mm-hmm. all the little like serif stuff or whatever it is he's doing, but. I don't know. It, it, it feels very him and I'll, I like it. It's fine. I, aesthetically, I like it, but reading it, I'm like, this is kind of difficult to read. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's where I'm at. It's just like it's hard to read. Yeah. And I'm kind of just like, man, there's like no telling how many hours you spent lettering this when it could have been, you know, just much more legible and straightforward. But at the same time, it also sets it apart from a lot out there. So for sure. Uh, Nate also had two other questions. Nate, if you're going to ask us a question, just ask one question next time. Okay. They, they ask also. <laughs> or just one, also, you know, one entry. <laughs> yeah, that too. Also, I mean, technically this is question number three and four, but okay. Also, uh, worst job you've ever had and are you a full-time cartoonist? Uh, worst job I ever had was actually when I first moved to Asheville. I worked at an independent children's toy store run by these two sisters and I've in my life, I've never suffered from acid reflux, but every day on the job, I had acid reflux there. I just hated being there, and they were really bad micromanaging bosses. They thought, like, I'd worked there for, like, maybe, like, a month, and a customer had asked me if they could buy a gift card, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I, I haven't sold one yet. Let me grab my boss to see how to do it. And my boss looked at me, 28-year-old man, and was like, oh, I don't know if you're ready to sell gift cards yet. <laughs> Which to me, I was just like, I looked at her and I was like, do you think I'm stupid? Like, I why? And from that, it just kind of like snowballed. It was just a really bad, shitty job. None of the toys were cool. It wasn't like a cool toy store. It was like a lot of like, you know, general brand kind of stuff. It was, it was, it was pretty miserable, honestly. And yeah, I I remember, I I think the day that I quit, I think I got into the car and I immediately, like, I think my girlfriend picked me up and we immediately just like smoked a bowl and we were just like, fuck this job and just left. (laughs) Hell yeah. But. Uh, as far as full-time cartoonist, no. I mean, right now, technically, sure. Let's say I'm a full-time cartoonist because I have no day job right now. Yeah, same for me right now. Yeah, yeah same, same. Yeah, so sure, I'm a full-time cartoonist and it's great. But <laughs> no, previous to this, I was just like everybody else, working 40 hours a day, trying to pay rent, make the bills, and draw in the you know brief moments of time I had when I wasn't worrying about paying rent and the bills. 
Yeah, I am not a full time cartoonist either. I am right now just because, you know, like we said, we don't have jobs right now. But um, <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's as, great. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I love not this, having a like, job. Yeah. As shitty as this year is, this year is also rocked <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, no, as far as like the shittiest job I've ever had, it started off not bad. I worked at Pizza Hut in like 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And like it was fucking awesome at first because like you'd make like 40 pizzas in a shift and like you know that's manageable you know whatever that like breaks mm-hmm. down to like five pizzas an hour but then they started doing like the whole like ten dollar unlimited topping deal and like we went from making 40 orders a day to like 350 plus oh no yeah like during like when they first launched that promotion and i made it like two weeks and like i asked for a raise i was like hey you know we're doing way more work <laughs> than we're you know used to doing and i said no so i quit but yeah that was probably the worst job i had Every job I've ever had is the worst job I've ever <laughs> yeah. had. Yeah, that's true. You know what? Yeah. That's my answer uh, yeah. to yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I will say I can tell you what my least hated job was. Um, and I've had a couple of those, like one or two of those. It was working for like a small flower atelier place. Mm-hmm. And they sold like flower arrangements and stuff like that. But the flowers were these like, uh, I don't know what they did with them, but that they were effectively dead, but they looked alive. So you <laughs> oh. didn't need to water them. Um, and, they were and real so flowers, we would, though. Yeah, they were real roses. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. And so, it's like reanimator, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so we would, you know, take in orders and and do inventory and pack up stuff, make bouquets. I was responsible for some photography stuff because I had some background in that. And yeah, it was really nice. I only had like two other people that worked there: the person that owned it and my boss. And that's it. Nice. And they were both really nice. So yeah, all the other jobs can go fucking kick rocks for all I care. <laughs> I worked at a comic shop one time and that was pretty sick, but I got fired for smoking weed in the building after hours. Damn. <laughs> I'll tell that on a Patreon episode. I'll tell Hell that story yeah. on a Patreon Hell episode. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. We got a lot of weed stories we can tell. I know. Yeah. For real. Yeah. Hey, bring me back on the weed chronicles. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. we will. We're going to bring people yeah. back that have been on yeah. the show previously. So, yeah. If you yeah. want to do news and just dick off with us. Happily. Yeah. The door is Looking open. Looking forward to episode 420. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was going to be like 10 years or something. Yeah. 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 (laughs) All righty. So let's get to the next question. Came from uh, Jazz underscore Heiss. Uh, They asked favorite childhood memory, comic related or not. I'll go first. I mean, I'll also do comic related because, you know, that was the option. But I remember the first time I went into a comic shop. It wasn't really a comic shop, though. It, it was like a, it was like an import hobby anime manga like shop. It's called Our Galaxy in Tucson, Arizona. And I remember going in there when I was like, must have been nine years old. And I bought a Studio Ghibli Dojinshi. So like a fan manga, essentially, that I didn't know what the fuck it was. But it was, you know, had like Totoro on it, but Totoro doing non-Totoro things. It's kind of like hanging out with like regular manga characters and it blew blew my mind and going to that shop and just seeing, I don't know, tons of crazy shit that I had never experienced before was a very eye-opening experience. So yeah, the first time I went to a comic shop was great. Yeah, I guess I was kind of like spoiled. This is like on the fly. I didn't really think too much about this. But uh, when I was like four years old, I remember my dad was the manager of a KB toy store. So every Friday on payday, I would always get like a new action figure. And I guess that was like pretty sick because that that makes me come off as very spoiled. I know. Uh, No way. I'm jealous. That's sick. Yeah. Like I just remember looking forward to like my dad's well, Fridays, I didn't realize it was payday, but it was payday. And I would always get like uh, some kind of action figure for like the year or two that he worked there. So that was pretty sick. So this is not comics related. Uh, one time my dad took me 
and my best friend, we were probably in fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, and uh, he took us to go see a WWF house show in my hometown. And I'd never really been to like a big wrestling event like that before, even though it wasn't like a big event, quote unquote. But And we went and we had pretty good seats and it had a really, really cool card if you like wrestling uh, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Most people that listen to this pot do not. And so, but the whole time I'm enjoying this and being, you know, completely floored by it. But I'm also, this was at the point in my childhood where I was basically legally blind, mm. like severely nearsighted, but hadn't really spoken up about it yet. Interesting. <laughs> You know, so I didn't have my eyes checked. I didn't have glasses. So all I'm seeing is just like a blur of colors oh, wow. and like grunting and some, you know, <laughs> I, I I can see parts of it, but not all of it. And for some reason, I think that's a pretty fond memory of mine. It was maybe because it was like so sensory because you couldn't even see it. So everything else was so heightened, you know? Yeah. Sen- yeah. I think that was also the moment I realized I really needed glasses. Oh, <laughs> so. sure. See, I, I've been I've been wearing glasses since I was three years old. So oh, I, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I am. I'm also, yeah, I'm legally blind. Can't see shit. So, yeah. I didn't get my first pair of glasses until like after high school because like uh, I just, I can't, what is it? Is it, uh, it's, is it nearsighted when you can't see far away? Yeah. Okay. So I'm nearsighted and I would always just Same. like squint at the board. And like when I was driving, yeah, I just thought that I was fucking that normal. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. and then. Oh, well, I was going to say one time I was at Bush Gardens playing like an arcade game. It's like one of those shooter arcades. I think it was like the Jurassic Park one. And uh, I'm playing it and like I have to squint my eyes because I can't see anything still. <laughs> and these like kids who I I don't know. And I was probably like, yeah, in like fifth grade. I didn't know these kids. And they came over and they just started making fun of me because my eyes were squinted because I was Asian and also squinting my eyes more so because I was like unable to see anything. Right. That was a good memory. (laughs) <laughs> a beautiful childhood memory. Getting beautiful bullied. Childhood. Two random white kids just making fun of me because I'm Asian. <laughs> oh God. But that Jurassic Park game, if I remember correctly, was that the one that you like you like sat in like a, a yeah. booth? Yeah. 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 And it like yeah. rumbled and it was like a light gun game. Yeah. My God. That's that, was, the one. Yeah, that was sick. All right. Next question is from Bubbles underscore Zine. What's up, Bubbles? Uh, they ask, explain your drawing process that led us all to get copies of your drawing in our packages. And what's your favorite fast food? Process, let's see how to best explain it. It's when I first started getting into comics, my favorite comics were Peter Bag. Peter Bag, is that how you pronounce it? Peter Baggy? Bag-ay? I always said bag. I don't know how yeah. to pronounce it. I've always said think, bag though. I think it's I think it's bag. But so I love the way that hate looked and I was like, how does he make it look this way? And so I found a book called Comics Introspective Volume One. And it's essentially like a book length interview with Peter Bag. And he goes into his process. So I kind of just stole it from him. So essentially what it is, and I think a lot of people do it this way as well, is that for every panel on the page, I'll do like a really rough sketch on a like a scrap piece of paper, like super rough, you know, light pencils. And then I'll go back over it and I'll tighten it up a little bit. But then I'll do a, a sort of final tightening up of the pencils and I'll put some tracing paper over that and I'll trace it onto the tracing paper. And then the last final step, which is not necessary, but I do it anyway, is that uh, so I have like a drawing desk and it's glass. So I use it as like a, a, like a light box, essentially. So what I'll do is I'll place the tracing paper drawing underneath my Bristol board. I'll kind of move it around and see where I want it to be in the panel, sort of figure out everything around it, and I'll tape it down. And then I will pencil onto the Bristol board, tracing over that pencil drawing, and then I will ink it, which is a long, arduous process that I probably don't have to pencil onto the Bristol from the tracing paper, but I just do it anyway. I don't know. For some reason, there's something about me inking 
on pencil. That's just more, I, it just it feels better than inking on this like straight paper that doesn't have pencil on it. So yeah, that's why there's like three different versions of every drawing in Rodeo 2 and Rodeo 1 because there's like the rough version, there's the tightened up tracing paper version, and then there's the final on the 11 by 17 Bristol board version. And sometimes I'll draw it straight to the Bristol board if it's like a very easy panel or, you know, something simple. But for the most part, I'm not happy with my drawings when they first come out of my head. Like, I just don't like the way they look. I, I feel the need to constantly rework them. So this, I've kind of worked that into my process where the first thing I do is like, oh, I don't have to be married to this, you know, because I'm going to tighten it up anyway. So yeah, that's that's what I do, which is a lot of work, honestly. And then as far as favorite fast food, I love fast food. <laughs> I love, you know, cl- you can't go wrong with a classic Big Mac and fries, you know, a Sprite or a Coke. I love that. Moving here to the South, I used to love cookout. I had never had cookout, cookout before. rocks. That was actually a highlight <laughs> of my Asheville Zine Fest trip was eating a cookout. <laughs> cookout rocks. Okay, well, then I do apologize for the story I'm about to tell. I'm yeah, about go to for tell. it. <laughs> so, I lo- yeah, I went to cookout and I was like, this place is amazing. It's so cheap. You get so much food and you get like a quesadilla and a burger. Like, it's wild. Like, you know, they have all these great milkshakes. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, cookout it's a chain in the south and you can pay five dollars for what's called a cookout tray and you get like a main entree which is like a burger like a chicken sandwich or whatever but then there's all these crazy sides to choose from normally you just get fries but cookouts like oh pick two of these and it's like corn dogs quesadillas my goodness like all this wild shit there's like hush puppies you can get fries if you want yeah quesadilla like it's crazy like and it's like five (laughs) dollars it's amazing super cheap and and they have have a huge They have like a huge selection of like fresh milkshakes too. And they're very famous for their banana pudding milkshake, which is very good. Yeah, it's delicious. That sounds good. Unfortunately, one time (laughs) I went to cookout and I was enjoying my banana pudding milkshake, having a great time with it. I get to Mm -hmm. the bottom of it and I, you know, I'm using the spoon and I put a bite into my mouth and there was a clump of hair in the bottom Ugh. of the milkshake that went into oh. my mouth. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. And, and not like a strand of hair, like a clump no, of yeah. hair. Yeah. Like and shower drain shit. Yeah. Oh. So unfortunately, I can't eat at cookout ever again That's because fair. the sense yeah. memory of it is just too much. But other, th- but hey, if you haven't had that experience, go to cookout. It's amazing. Just yeah, hopefully you don't for, get <laughs> hold the hair. Yes, hold the hair. Yes. Oh, also I have to shout out In and Out because I'm from uh, the West Coast ish oh, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So In and Out. Yeah, yeah. In and Out rocks for sure. But it's like I took my partner to In and Out, and I guess like I hyped it up so much they were like, it was good, but you know it wasn't as good as I expected it to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> classic. That's why I love Alicia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What fast food do you guys like? I think Taco Bell. JB and I both love Taco Bell. Oh, yeah. But um, I was going to say cookout, but, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I haven't had a bad experience there, so I'll probably make my way to one one day again. Oh, you should for sure. I don't know if they had these in Arizona, but out west, there's Jollibee, which is like a Filipino fried chicken joint, but they also have like Filipino cuisine that's pretty good. Like their breakfast is awesome. And then there's uh, in California, for sure, there's Yoshinoya, which is like beef bowl. Oh, yeah. Yoshinoya oh, fucks. Uh, they It's like this like <laughs> shredded beef with like onion on top of a bed of rice. And then they do like, I guess, like a teriyaki chicken. But it's yeah, those are that's my favorite spots. But as far as like normal stuff goes, I'm, gonna, I'm a Taco Bell person. McDonald's breakfast is undefeatable. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I love yeah. fast food too. Yeah. Taco Bell rocks. 
that's definitely a go-to. Burger King's always been a favorite as you know since I was a kid. I like it too. They have Impossible Whoppers, so I can eat those. So there you go. And those are good. <laughs> I've, I've had those, those as well. Those are good. Do you all remember yeah. the struggle days of being vegetarian uh, and eating fast food, and you'd have to go to McDonald's and like get the two cheeseburger meal with no meat? Did you guys have to oh do that God. bullshit sometimes? <laughs> no. That sounds awful. <laughs> Never it was done that. terrible. Yeah, no. Like that was like a, I don't know why that was just like I feel like me and my friends would just do that a lot when we were in high school and mainly vegetarian. Well, that's like an in and out. They don't have any vegetarian options except for the quote unquote grilled cheese, which yeah. is just a burger with no burger. And like, it just yeah. does not seem appetizing to me. That sounds really bad. Yeah. Uh, oh, White Castle. White Castle is another place that I fuck with. Have, oh, you, man, have yeah. you tried their impossible sliders? Yeah, they're yeah. great. Are they good? Okay. I haven't tried them yet. Yeah, I love them. And you know, they got all the other stuff like the yeah. onion rings I- and whatever. Oh, I and I gotta, I gotta shout out one more place too. In Tucson, there's a local chain called EG's, okay. which they do like grinders and subs. And they also have these like, they have these like kind of like shaved ice drinks that are called EG's. They're, so oh. it's, yeah, and they're amazing. And they have like flavors of the month. So every month there's like a new flavor. But they also have like three like regular flavors. It's like strawberry, pina colada, and lemon are like Ooh. the year round ones. And then every month there's like a different kind of like a lime, a watermelon. My favorite is the orange dream. It's like an orange creamsicle kind of thing. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like a Tucson staple. Like it's just, and it's not. Here's the thing: is the food, especially now, not very good. To be totally honest with you, <laughs> but it's just the ultimate. Like if you're from Tucson, like you've you've gone to like a friend's house and their parents have like bought a huge thing of EGs, or you know you've uh, gone yeah. to like you know when you're a teenager you have nowhere to go you've like hung out in EGs parking lot that kind of thing. So it's you know it's it's got that place in my heart for sure. Nice. Yeah, there's a regional place in my hometown called Mr. Fish. Nice. And it is it's like possibly the best fried fish sandwich you can get for mm. how much they're charging. Damn. But yeah, that place is a banger. Everybody in my hometown knows about it. No one outside of my hometown knows about it until uh, now. So there you go. I love a, regional uh, fast food. Regional fast food is the best. Oh, yeah. 100%. There's a Louisville fast food. Well, I guess it's regional. I don't know. I've never seen one outside of Louisville, but it's a fish sandwich place called Moby Dick. And um, mm. I remember like being really obnoxious in high school with a friend's mom being like, you're going to get some dick sandwiches? Like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, and then like they like yelled at me and stuff and I wasn't allowed to come back to their friend, uh, to my friend's <laughs> house. If, <laughs> they always had to come to mine. But yeah, our, our local fish chain is called Moby Dick. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Weird name for a restaurant, but you know, I guess it works. Yeah, let's see. There's some I can talk about questions. fast food all day long. Yeah. 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 Fast we food. We can start zine. a pod called Fast Yeah. We yeah. Can do fast food pods. That's something Mike Dick would be into. Actually. Yeah, straight up. Show, Mike Dick. Uh, let's see. Next question. User Johnny D. Griff on Instagram asks uh, too long for the question box, but as a brand new creator, is it important to have some complete self-published work before shopping your new shit to small press publishers? This part's too boring to read on the air, but for some context, uh, well, I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> I'm at the point where I have three different comics that are close to the finish line. I think one of them is better than the other, so I'm trying to decide if the other should be scrapped in favor of leading with something I actually like. It's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Should I? Uh, I'll yeah. go first. Yeah. I definitely think, because the, the first part of the question was... Uh, what was it again exactly that should you have like, you know, a couple completed books under work. your belt? Yeah. So, yeah. So yes, you should definitely have completed work before even thinking about going to a publisher at all, because there's no, I mean, you have to, you know, you have to kind of prove yourself for it. I think comics to me, like indie comics, it's a weird thing because it's equally something you choose to do, but it's also the thing where it's like, if you want to make, you know, if you're a cartoonist, you write and you draw and you want to put books out, there's really no way to go straight to a publisher. You got to do it yourself mm-hmm. first. You know, you got to. Yeah. 
yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it's just you know you, you got to sort of you know pay your dues so to speak. You know, show that you can make a comic because it's very hard to make a comic and. I mean, I don't even know if, you know, any small publisher, the other thing too about it to think about is that as far as money goes, you're going to make more money self-publishing always, as far Mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and especially if like you're somebody who has like a fan base at this point, you know what I mean? Like if you're like a big cartoonist or whatever, like self-publishing, it's just, it's so much smarter. You look at like Kevin Heisinger, he self-publishes his new comic book Fielder. I think like, I don't know, there's some other people like, uh, what's his name? Uh, He does that comic Tongues. His name's like Anders. Anders Nilsson. Anders Nilsson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, I think he he self-publishes because yeah. when it comes to like single issues, like there's literally no money to be made from a publisher for single issues. So right. just do it yourself and keep that money and create a body of work. And when you have a body of work, then you can start shopping it around. Well, on our last episode, you know, we had Michael Sweater on and Michael was talking about that as well, about how publishers usually won't even fuck with you until you can show them that you can finish a book. Yeah. Just because it shows that you're capable of, you know, delivering at the end of the day. And, you know, so absolutely agree with Evan there as far as like, should you have complete work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I can't really add anything more to, you know, what Evan already said, but it shows that you're, you know, reliable enough to create a full story from, you know, beginning, middle to end. It shows that, you know, you take it seriously. And as far as, you know, your follow-up, as far as, you know, having three different projects and, you know, you're wanting to scrap two and leaning towards something that you actually like working on, I think that's very important. I don't think that you should work on something that you don't like working on if it's not, you know, your job. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, if I it's mean, your choice, then yeah, why would you, if you're if no one's paying you to work on things you don't like, why are you working on that thing? <laughs> yeah, so definitely scrap those <laughs> two projects and right, just yes. work on the one you like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always been of the opinion that you should not be approaching publishers. Publishers should be approaching you mm. and they'll only do that because you are creating consistent work. And that's the only way how that works, in my opinion. I know some friends who've had some luck with that, but always 100% those people that do get published when they approach a publisher, it's because they already had a huge body of work behind that that they self-published. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and also those three, uh, the you know, the other projects that you said were almost done but they're not quite done and you're not enjoying it, sure, just drop them. It doesn't really matter. I mean, as long as you have something done, that's what counts. Well, it sounds like, you know, you're you're doing these on spec to try to pitch as opposed to like putting it out anyways. So, yeah. Yeah, right. And also, I mean, if you're like halfway done on something and you don't want to finish it, just put it to the side and like cannibalize it later. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's like a few ideas in there that are good or drawings or whatever. Just put that into the thing you actually like and it'll make that thing even better probably. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Or you might you might have a change of heart and you might actually like whatever it is that you were working on and then you complete it and then you can always just release it later. Yeah. I wish I had that problem. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have too many projects. I don't know what to do with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I, I try to keep myself pretty pared down as far as projects go. You know, th- I, I try to keep myself like, I, you know, I know my limits and I know what I can realistically accomplish. So I, I try to keep myself, you know, to one or two things at a time for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to stretch yourself too thin. No. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Next question came from Brianna Murphy. Brianna asked, my question is, how is Margie so cute and how is Evan's girlfriend so great? Margie is my dog and I love her very much. I don't know why she's so cute. I think she was just born that way. 
and she's just uh she's my special little daughter i love her so much i actually just spent a few days alone with her because meredith was somewhere and yeah i don't know i don't know why she's so cute she just she has a little robber mask you know she's got those kind of like black oh, patches over yeah. her eyes she's all white that'll do it oh yeah for sure that'll do it <laughs> she's got those big brown beautiful eyes she looks up at you you know she's <laughs> she's got a whole lot of personality she's got a lot a lot of personality and then why is my girlfriend so great uh i don't know she just again maybe she was born with it she's very talented and thoughtful and caring and you know very supportive of me and all of her friends and, you know i'm very i'll say that too she's thanked first thing in rodeo too because i mean i think any cartoonist with a partner knows that like man if it wasn't for like a supportive partner it's kind of hard to i mean i i just i couldn't have done these comics honestly without meredith there just for support along the way and just yeah. to sort of be like even I bounce things off her too you know as simple as being like or like if I need a certain pose and I you know need someone to take a picture I'm just like Meredith come downstairs and you should take a picture of me and it's like you know <laughs> some weird specific thing so it's 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 you know she she helps a lot in the process and I think you know yeah so so Brianna there's your answer <laughs> all right yeah next question came from HC Prince what's been your most exciting adventure in your career so far I've had no adventures in my career. <laughs> Zero. Avoiding poverty. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there you go. I guess, you know, doing shows, you know, the road trips to get there, you know, hanging out with Dylan and Blake in the car are always, you know, really fun. As far as like projects, I signed some NDAs, so I can't get like too Ooh. much into it. But I was working with a rapper that was somewhat high profile on Kanye West's label that came through a childhood friend who was his assistant. And I got to write like a 40 page comic. It was cool because like I felt like I shouldn't have been there, especially that early on in my career. It was only a year after I'd put out my first comic. But I had to be on these like conference calls with like the label and like the art directors. And it was a bunch of bullshit. Two hours every Sunday. And they ended up scrapping the comic. Yeah, Yeah, it was cool because, you know, I got paid, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I know they say like artists should be paid and not get exposed, you know, not paid in exposure. But a little exposure there (laughs) would have been nice from something that high profile. But like just dealing with like a project that was kind of big like that was kind of, I guess, cool. Yeah. Fucking nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. The friendships. um, The friends I made along the way. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. This show, honestly, I can say that just because like it gives me an outlet, you know, kind of like Evan was saying at the beginning, you know, I we don't really get to talk about this shit that often in our real lives. So no. yeah, having, an, true. Yeah, having an outlet to <laughs> yeah, do especially this now, yeah. yeah, every two weeks is really great for me. That's a highlight of my career. Oh, yeah. Sick. Well, thank you. I'm glad I'm glad we can put a smile on your face. Yeah. Cam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is from D Moses L asks, what is your greatest challenge in lettering your comics? Truthfully, my greatest challenge in lettering my comics is making sure I don't smear the ink uh, when I'm lettering. <laughs> Truthfully. Are you left-handed? <laughs> no. So I'm, I'm right-handed. I just, I don't know what it is. I, I probably every page of comics I've ever done, I've smeared ink before for whatever reason, because I'm impatient with a drawing or I just wasn't paying attention where my hand was going or whatever. So a lot of times for lettering, I'll, what I'll do is I'll, if I have like a whole page, you know, 
And I'll say I have like like a narration box and like, you know, each panel. I'll do the first line in the first panel and then I'll move to the second panel, do the first line there, third panel, et cetera, et cetera, which gives enough time for the ink to dry. So I move back up to the first panel and I'll do the second line and I'll do the second line in the second panel and then I'll do the second line in the third panel. And it's just because, only because I'm going to smear the ink. I know I'm going to smear the ink. I just know it because I do (laughs) it all the time. Yeah, I do it all the time and I don't know how to not do that, but I just do it. And I mean, like, oh man, I'll, I'll... I'll be spotting like blacks or whatever, you know, big washes of black. And there are oh, yeah. plenty of times where I'll just fucking fuck up whole drawing by just absentmindedly <laughs> smearing. And it, it just, I'll, I'll have that moment where, you know, those moments where no one's around, you fuck up and you just kind of like sit there and stew in it. You just look at the, you know, the smear of ink yeah. and you're just like, right. Ah, all right, guess I got to do something about this. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. But but for me, lettering, <laughs> well, so I'm actually interested in this question too, because correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, you use fonts like computer fonts right no no i don't no. i don't oh, do don't. that i i cheat though using fonts so what i do is when i'm lettering i'll type out in my comics like the dialogue first yeah and i'll use the spacing as a guide oh, so see. it's like it's like tracing in my own handwriting i really just like do it for like spacing reasons gotcha oh yeah yeah so that's a little tip for anybody if you uh suck at lettering and spacing shit out because like a lot of problems that i would have uh early on while making comics and i was primarily analog at this point and uh, when I was working, but I would like fuck up the lettering because I wouldn't give myself enough space. Like the letters would be like smaller towards the end of the like bubble or whatever. So oh, like, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like to fix that, <laughs> I just started like typing everything out and then I'll just use that as a guide for like spacing and then just like do my own little kind of handwriting thing. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing all my lettering analog, I would, I think I initially was just doing a freehand and then that clearly was not the no, best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so I started actually using gridded paper to do my lettering oh. and then I would cut that out and paste it onto the page and then scan it and then it'd be done. Or sometimes I wouldn't even cut it out. Sometimes I would just scan the lettering separately and then drop it in into Photoshop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've nice. definitely done that a few times with like, you know, if I wanted to change the writing on something, but I've already finished the page, I'll yeah do like a separate little thing and scan it in. I see. I I use one of those Ames lettering guides. Like I use one of those things. Oh, see, that's oh. nice. Yeah, it's and it, it took a while for me to kind of like figure it out at first. But once I did, I was like, oh, this is it, yeah. It kind of it, it, it all the problems from like spacing or whatever kind of go away when you have that thing in there. So it's 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 nice. But again, I can't help but always smear my letters. So that's my idea. <laughs> I thought about making like my own like lettering font, but like when I'm reading books, I can totally tell when somebody's fucking done that and it bothers me. So I refuse to do yeah. that. Yeah. Like you can yeah. just tell, you know, like you could tell that each E has like a little accent mark on, you know, like there's just some little thing that you can just tell if you look close enough where like the common reader is not going to notice that shit. But, you know, me, right. You know, immersing myself uh, in this. Yeah. Cam, I'm I'm happy to hear you you don't use like fonts in your comics because my gutter boys hot take is that people who don't letter their comics and say use fonts are... don't do that, you know. Just like yeah, letter your letter your comics. Yeah. Lettering is the secret ingredient of comics, in my opinion. Like it, it can hold it because, like you said, Cam. Like you can tell when like a font's being used, or you know this kind of stuff. And like uh, lettering can add such a personality to a comic that wouldn't be there otherwise. I don't know. I I think lettering. You know, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Like even earlier, <laughs> we're talking about Daniel Clouds and like yeah, his lettering was crazy back in the day. But you know, it's something to talk about. Or I think about like Noah Van Skyver's lettering is very. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Yeah, that, that lettering is. Very like it's very singular. It's very unique to him, and I don't know. There, there's lots of great. I don't know. I, I love looking at a cartoonist lettering. It's it's fun. 
I have terrible handwriting, so yeah. oh, I always struggle. Same yeah. Here. Oh, oh so yeah. Mine is awful too. But I, when I do my comics, I do it in like block letters, so I do like all caps. Mm-hmm. Just kind yeah. of, yeah. kind of made its way to my normal handwriting now, and my normal handwriting is all caps. <laughs> See, like, yeah, my like, I've got like shaky hands, so it's like that's partly why like you know i'll use a font as a guide like i I literally will just type the shit in times new roman and just use it as like a a spacing grid like i don't care if my line work looks like fucking string but i don't want my letters to look like that so like i take like a lot of time (laughs) like making sure my letters are like as like clear (laughs) and straight as possible so much so that i think like it looks like kind of jarring compared to like my line work it looks a little more clean maybe that's why i thought yeah, maybe that's why I thought it was like a font or something. But, yeah, I mean, that's no, cool. it, that's definitely like purposefully done. Like, but no, yeah, no, it's like it's 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 not a font, but it's, you know, I'm definitely using like a guide. So I'm cheating there. But, you know, it is what it is. All right. So last question came from friend of the show, Alex Nall. Alex wrote, who are some of your favorite literary writers? Do you try to emulate their work or avoid it? I my work is really influenced by books I've read specifically I'm really inspired by Latin American writers uh, and that the sort of movement of writers from around like the 50s to now. So specifically, like writers I, I read and I'm really inspired by are people like Jorge Luis Borges. Oh yeah, or Hell yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, Carlos Fuentes is another Mexican writer I love. There's a woman her name Silvina Ocampo. She has this great book of short stories. They're all kind of like all these things share a kind of like ghostly sort of playful postmodern kind of thing i like a lot of like contemporary short story writers as well like karen russell or amy bender or george saunders i love karen russell yeah 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 she's amazing she i mean her, yeah, her sentences are so good and so when i'm writing i'm usually not like looking at those things or being influenced by them but i am thinking about them and i am trying to i'm trying to achieve whatever i feel like the mood or feeling they were trying to achieve i i, I try to go for that same mood in my own way so yeah, I would say uh, I'm inspired by. I'm not. I don't. I think I'm not inspired by any comics writers at all. But I'm inspired by tons of like you know actual writers. Yeah, I'm the same way. I don't really. Uh, there's not like a comic writer. I mean, Alan Moore, I guess, could like deserve props. Grant Morrison, but like, it's very few and far between that you become like a known known comic writer. And I feel like the era of that is like over, maybe. And it's just, yeah, the issue with those guys, too, like, I love, like, yeah, Alan Moore's great, Graham Morrison's great, but, like, those guys, their pages are just filled with fucking text. Like, I, and that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I just, like, when I'm reading a comic and I open a comic up and it's just, like, chock-a-block full of text, I'm like, fuck this comic. Like, I don't want to read it, even if it's really, really good. Like, I, I think I got a Frank Thorne book. He has a book called Gita that is, like, beautifully drawn, but, like, every page is just filled with these paragraphs of just, like, nonsense. And I just, I just don't care. Just don't care. Yeah, I'm I'm the kind of the same way as you like, you know, like I'll I've read that stuff and I like it, but I more so like if I think writers, I don't think comic writers. I think like, you know, actual like, you know, novels and, sure. you know, poetry and so forth. And as far as like, you know, I guess like favorite stuff, uh, I really like Richard Brodigan. I really like uh, Mishima. How do you, I don't even know how to say his name. Uh, Mishima. I don't know how to pronounce it, but the guy y- who y- like Yukio Mishima. Yeah. The guy who like killed himself and they did oh, the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Paul Schrader um, movie, yeah. 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 Um, I've been reading a lot of his work this year. I've read like four of his uh, novels. I like Murakami. I think Murakami can be really interesting. Sometimes he's a little long and drawn out, but I do like him. And I guess this is more like newer stuff, but uh, I want to say they're from Argentina, but there's a new, well, their work's getting translated into English recently. Uh, Samantha 
Schweiblin, I think. Mm. They do like horror stuff and it is incredible. Like they did a book called Fever Dream about this woman who like lost her sight and there's like this little boy next to her in the hospital that's like asking her like a bunch of questions mm-hmm. trying to find that like exact moment that this happened and it's written in such a way like there's no chapter breaks it's just like a hundred plus page like novella with no chapter breaks but I definitely recommend checking that out if you're looking for something kind of creepy to read that sounds cool is unlike anything else I've ever read before nice yeah nice. that's pretty sick yeah I mean I'm gonna echo Evan's thoughts on Borges I love Borges also big uh, Kobo Abe fan oh hell yeah totally you know Kafka, and I, I guess I do like a specific kind of writer for sure. But. Alienated, uh, yeah, 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 basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I love Kobo Abe. I think I read The Box Man like in high school, and I was like, this book's fucking crazy. And then, yeah, it's, it's yeah. wild. Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. He's amazing. I always thought about doing a loose adaptation of that book just oh, for fun. Man. That'd be that'd be great. That'd be a that'd be a cool comic. I mean, a man being chased like in a box, like chased by a man with a shotgun. I mean, how is yes. that? How is that not a comic already? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and I, I I have to mention though, because you brought up uh, you brought up Murakami, right, Cam? Did I make that up? I, I, yeah. I just gotta throw this out there. That, no, I did. Uh, that when I was in college, actually, I was briefly in college, did not graduate. But when I was in college, I took a Japanese literature class from this guy by the name of Dr. Philip Gabriel, who is the translator of like most of Murakami's stuff in America. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was, it was an awesome class because like truly just like hearing him talk about translating and the work that goes into it. He shared all these like hard copy letters that him and Murakami would write to each other because Murakami didn't use email. He might not still use email, but <laughs> yeah, he didn't use email. So he, he would just like long form handwrite all these like letters to him in Japanese and send them to America to Dr. Gabriel's office. And he, he showed us all those uh, letters and stuff. And it was really wow. cool. Yeah, it was sick. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, that rocks. Yeah. There was one more that was uh, that I realized was common to, that was on our page. Hang on, let me find. But I mean, honestly, I think we've pretty much covered it all. And it was uh, I want to say it was another question from um, the dude who already asked two <laughs> questions that we got on to. <laughs> he really wants to ask <laughs> his questions, doesn't he? Well, I looked at his profile and he DM'd us and he's very nice. Um, he's going to send us some comics, oh, but okay. uh, he is 18. So I think, you know, his work is really okay. good. So it seems like I guess like the way that those uh, cartoonists felt about Adrian Tamina coming in. That's how I feel about like Jasper Juvenville and this oh, dude. Man. Like, yeah. Jasper's yeah. out of this world. <laughs> these, these Jasper's new... out of this world. Yeah, Jasper. We're going to get Jasper on sooner than later. Yeah, we, we have to get permission from his parents first. But once we get that out of the way, <laughs> yeah. we'll have we'll have that little whiz on we'll have, the show. They'll have Jasper... to their signature, you know, make sure they're, yeah. they're allowed to. Yeah. There is cursing on this show. Uh, That's true. Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to pull that in a bit. Uh, We do have one more question. Someone asked me a question on my story. Let me pull it up. Okay. Oh, it's not really a question. (laughs) I mean, it is, but okay. Instagram user Daniel Warren Art asks... When will you have a mainstream hack like me on the show? Oh, is that DWJ? Yeah, DWJ. We already had Ramon on the show. Yeah. Although when we had Ramon, we did talk a lot about small press and how much he thought it was lame. So... Hey, if uh, if DWJ uh, wants to come on the show, hey, Daniel, I'd love to talk to you, man. He does uh, doors actually, open. To, to his credit, and maybe he doesn't count it in his mind's eye, but he does a lot of self-publishing in between projects. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, his little like sketch zines and everything like that. No, no, like comic shorts, like me oh, really? comics. Yeah. I mean, the, granted, they're all like based off of existing properties. Like he did a Star Wars one. He did a Star Trek one, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. But- it's, you know, these are pages that he's, he did a Liger one. These are all pages that he did on his own time, you know, compiled them, printed them out, 
collated, stapled, and sold them at his table, just like every other person at a zine fest. So there you go. Yeah, I think, and I mean, even taking that out of the equation, uh, the one time I met Daniel, he was very nice. But he's a very nice guy. Yeah. Even though we mainly feature small press on here, it's just because those are really the connections that we have. We're not opposed to talking to creators here. <laughs> yeah, you hear that dance lot? Come on over. Yeah, anytime I, you I want. would love to hear a roundtable with like <laughs> current Marvel DC people on this podcast. <laughs> that would be man. So on oh, July seventh, you tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's gonna be like a Mario episode <laughs> yeah um no i would love to have dwj you on said i think ice wasn't that bad <laughs> yeah. that was a lie <laughs> i think that daniel could potentially be one of the saviors of mainstream comics based off the work they oh, post yeah, so yeah i would love oh, i would love to have daniel on um daniel just make sure that your uh word on the street is uh you might be in the middle of a bidding war so make sure you can do this show <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I think that's it for questions. Yes. Yeah, so, right? um, yeah. Okay. yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Guys, if we didn't get to your question, you know, write in again. We'll get to you one day. That was a lot of questions. So we definitely appreciate it. Evan, before we get out of here, you know, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I tell you pretty often, you know, that I love your work. Rodeo 2 is officially one of my favorite comics of the year. But let's go ahead and tell people where they can find you online and where they can get a copy of Rodeo. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that, Cam. Thank you. Uh, you can go to my website, Rodeo Comics dot com and I got some information up there. You click on the store link and you can uh, order the first two issues from that, from that link. It comes with, uh, if you order from me, Rodeo 2, it comes with one of the many, those uh, tracing paper drawings I spoke about earlier because they stack up and I don't want them around. So, you know, take them off my hands. And then you can find me on Instagram at Evan underscore salad bar, which is just a a nickname that I got back like in elementary school. I think I gave it to myself, to be totally honest, and it just has stuck ever since. So that's what I go by on there. But yeah, my web store. And then there's, you know, if you're in Brooklyn or Philadelphia or Chicago or Buffalo, New York, go to your local comic shops there, your indie ones, and uh, Rodeo should be there. So it's like Desert Island, Partners and Son, Gutter Pop Comics, and Quimby's. So yeah, it's in some comic stores trying to get it into some more stores because just it's not for money reasons. It's just for fun reasons. It's fun to have people go into the store and pick up your comic. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Radiocomics.com. I think I saw Caroline post that you sold out at Quimby's. Oh, I, I, I know I sold I sold out from Rodeo One last year, and then I sold I guess I sold a copy at Quimby's. I, I should check in see if I've sold out there because that's the thing. A lot of these places are cities where I know people, so it's kind of like it. I, I kind of tell people like go buy my comics, so they think it's popular and they'll buy more. So that's that's kind of the gist <laughs> usually. Yeah, smart, yeah. smart. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So yeah, so if you're in Chicago, go pick up a comic or Brooklyn or any of those cities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you again for uh, coming on, Evan. Uh, we definitely appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it was a great time. Oh definitely man, appreciate I'll it. bring me back on for the fast food weed chronicles. Whatever, both both the oh, same yeah. time. We'll do that. That'd be fun. We'll just start doing mukbang videos. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll have you lined up as one of our first guests for the Patreon episode. Sick, sick. Yeah, so um, as always, uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Cam Del Rosario. JB is at Mort Crimp Jr. Our social media, once again, is at Gutter Boys Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And our email address is gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, like, share, subscribe, review. I hear reviews are important. So do that, I guess. They can be negative. That's fine. A review is a review. Anything else? Uh, no, just stay gutter. Stay gutter.